Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Okay, so let me just do a quick head count roll call. Uh, Mr. Christian Wilkinson, you still with me? Yes, sir. Okay, excellent. Um, and was that you, Mr. Ben King? Yes, sir, it was. Excellent. Um, so uh, hold on for a minute, Mr. King. I'm going to jump back to Mr. Christian Wilkinson. Thank you, all those who are out there. We had a little brief technical difficulty been handled. We're back. Sorry about that. So uh, you were telling me, Christian, a little bit about the role other sports have played in your development, that basketball, something like basketball really was your first love, athletically speaking. Would that be fair to say? Oh, yes, sir. Okay. And you say that changed at some point while you were in high school? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, I was in middle school and I played tight end, but because we were a wing T offense for like 10 years, the coach played wing, did the wing T offense. But when I got there, he saw how good of a receiver I was, and then he moved it to like one receiver split out. Split out, split out. And uh, I played receiver in eighth grade. So the high school coach saw me play, and he was like, I want you to come play football for the high school. But he didn't ever tell me. He told the quarterback's brother, which is like my big brother. And um, I, I actually stopped playing football over that summer, transitioning to high school because I was just focusing on basketball. But he was like, man, if you come play for – play football, man, I'll get you into college. And I was like, well, I'll do that. I like football, and I like winning, too. So, And they had a great program, so I came out and played as a freshman. And what was that experience like? Because you're up against not only more experienced players, but more physically developed players. I mean, there's a big difference between, like, 14, 15, 17, 18. What was that like? Um, it was kind of Adjusting to it, it was kind of fast, like the first couple of weeks. But I was like six one in high school. Like I haven't grown since the ninth grade, I say. And so I was much bigger than a lot of guys out there. The only thing was just get the technique of being a a receiver down pack. Okay, got it. And who helped you with that? Who helped you go from being just a big raw athlete? sort of just running around hoping something good happens to becoming a more refined, uh, skilled wide receiver? Well, that's a lot of guys play a part in it. Um, I could go. It's a whole list, man. I don't want to leave anybody out, but it's a guy. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> no problem. Well, we're just putting a shout-out to everybody who helped. Some of you, I assume some of your teammates, maybe some of your coaches as well. Yeah, they know who they are, man. They're well appreciated. They already know. I still talk to them, some, some of them to this day. And whenever I see them, yeah, it's all love. They still tell me, like, you remember when you couldn't do this and then we worked on it and now you can do blah, blah, blah. So it was, like, all love, and I'm very proud to have them in my life. Excellent. Excellent. I have one more question for you in this segment, and then I'll hop over to Veda, then I'll be back with you after I talk to him a little bit. Thank you so much for your patience, Mr. King. 
so w- one more question for Christian, then I'll, I'll have a question for you, and we'll be going back and forth. So when you began really becoming a wide receiver, usually, and I'll, I'll just speak about myself, usually when you sort of find your home as a position, you start studying people who play your same position. Who are some of the receivers that you really like to watch, guys that you feel like you've learned from, you know, that you've studied? Um, over the recent years, it'll be uh, Michael Thomas, DeAndre Hopkins, Stephon Diggs type guys. But but growing up as in high school, it was like, um, I'd say Stevie – Stevie Johnson and oh, Julio Jones. Okay. Yeah. But but think of those guys. Terrell gotcha. Owens too. Even Terrell Owens is like okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, I want to thank you for mentioning Stevie Johnson. I've been doing this a long time, and I've heard you know OBJ and um, Julio comes up a lot, obviously. Uh, Antonio Brown's name gets mentioned. Stephon Diggs has been mentioned. Uh, I've had people bring up, you know, even some of the older school receivers, you know, going back to guys like Jerry Rice. I've had people obviously mention T.O. a few times. Uh, more recently, and I'm hearing some of the, some of the, the younger cats, you know, throw up uh, um, uh, Devontae Adams is great. Too. Right, guys like Devontae Adams and um, uh, Keenan Allen. Thank you. I, I could see him in my mind, and his name wouldn't come to me for a second. That's what the guys and Keenan Allen are all guys I get. I've heard multiple times. I've been doing this since since Geno Atkins was a senior in college, and uh, and you're the first receiver I've had mentioned, Stevie Johnson, who was a technician. Oh, Stevie, uh, but Steve Smith is another guy. The short guys, the smaller guys, the little feisty guys. I like to mention Steve Smith too. But um, Stevie Johnson was a technician. I mean, it was like watching. Some of the routes he ran, like um, that shake route, I don't know if anybody has run that that post corner post better than him. Oh yeah, he used to give Darrell Reeves problems a lot. <laughs> yes. Okay, that's how I know you're a real student of the game. Because <laughs> of all the people, when people think about all the people that Darrell Reeves um, covered, I'm sure Darrell Reeves would say, if you said name the five guys who gave the most trouble. You wouldn't get more than two or three names out before you got Stevie Johnson. You're 100% right. That's how I know you really study the game. Well done. Well done. Okay, now I'm going to – I'll be back with you in a second. I'm going to hop over to the very patient Mr. Beta King. So, Mr. King, uh, tell me a little bit about how you got started. Who started you? Was it your mom, uh, you know, a local coach, a father figure? Who got you started in athletics, and what was your favorite sport when you were little? Uh, my mother, my mother, she, uh, she really got me started. Uh, my mom, she's a retired military and the first sport oh, I ever started. Sir? Oh yeah. The first, the first sport I ever started playing was soccer when we lived in Germany. Okay. And yes, sir. And she actually coached it. She coached my soccer team and, and we go back to the okay. United States. Yeah. We the states. Uh, I started playing football when I was probably twelve, and she coached my she coached my little league team too. She helped coach it. She was assistant coach, so she really got me started in in uh, football. 
that is an awesome story for a couple of reasons. Uh, and please pass along my thank you to your mother for her many years of service to a grateful nation. So what was your mom like as a coach? Uh, she was, uh, she, she coached me like, I guess she coached me like, coached the team like she would. Um, like how how she would go about things in in the army because she was a uh, yeah she was a sergeant I think yeah uh, so she just kind of she treated us like soldiers I guess yeah all the stretches and stuff <laughs> yeah she didn't really show no favoritism or that like that she was she was a coach yeah. okay and did your mother also grow up as an athlete was she a person that was an as a very athletic growing up herself. Uh, yes, sir. She ran track all throughout high school. Yeah, she ran track throughout high school. So that was her big thing, track and running. Yeah. Okay. Did she pass along uh, any secrets of how to gain a little extra, you know, a little extra speed to you when when she was, you know, raising you? Uh, not really. She didn't really teach me anything about running, but she she kind of taught me. Like she gave me that. That uh, that fight when it came to like working out and like competing and stuff like that, but she never really taught me anything when it came to like technique or anything like that. Okay, okay, fine. And so, as you mentioned, uh, I grew up in a very military part of the country. I grew up in a place called Virginia Beach, Virginia, which is the home port of the Atlantic Fleet. Um, it seems like all the kids that I grew up around had parents in one branch of the military or the other. And that means that you were the new kid a lot. Um, yes, I was. Name, name some of the places you, you – know, I know you probably can't name all of them, but name some of the places, about five places you lived growing up, I guess. Uh, I've lived in Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, that's where I'm originally from. Oh, she was from. a first Jackson? Yes, sir, she was. Okay. Yes, and then uh, Fort Benning. Uh, we yes. were in Aziz by that. Yeah, we were in Fort yeah, I was going to say Fort Benning. I, I have strong memories of Fort Benning. Uh, I went to Ranger School at Fort Benning. Um, I went through Officer uh, officer uh, Basic and Officer Advanced Camp at Fort Benning. So I have very clear, oh, yeah, sharp father, memories of Fort Benning. <laughs> my father, my father uh, depending on what year, because my father, he was a Ranger. Yeah, while he was in. Okay, there weren't that many of us who were black. So, what's your father's name? Uh, my father's name is Lady King. Oh, well, that's that's easy to remember. Um, well, okay, so if you wrote it, now I'm probably I'm probably even older than your father, but was he in in like the 80s, 90s, or when was he in? Uh, yeah, he was in in the 80s and 90s. Yeah, he was probably born around 65, I want to say so. He's, he's up there. Okay. Age, so, yes, sir. He was he was okay. there at that time. Well, okay. So, your your father will know what this means. Tell your father I said Suaponte. S U A P O N T E. You'll know what that means. Suaponte. Yeah, he'll know what it means whenever he hears this. <laughs> you'll know what it means. You'll know what it means. He'll know what it means. I promise you. He'll go to his grave knowing what that means. He'll know his grave remembering the Derby Queen. Your father and I share some memories. <laughs> I'll put it that way. They would put certain things on you in the service. Um, but, yes, yeah, so you've grown up a lot of different places. Like you said Jackson, 
um, stationed at Fort Benning, and you said you spent some time in Germany. Yes, I am. He's by How long were you there? Uh, we were there for three years. Okay. Yes, sir. Sprechen Sie Deutsch? Eine kleine Deutsch? Sorry. Sprechen Sie Deutsch? Eine kleine Deutsch? Oh no, I didn't learn any. I didn't learn any of the German when I lived over there. Yeah, I didn't learn any. Oh, okay. I learned. Yes, sir. We in the in the school over there. We learned. They call it Spanish. We learned Spanish. So, yeah, but we. I didn't really pick up on any any German while I was there. Okay. I got it. Okay. No problem. Uh, any other places that you can remember that you lived growing up? Uh, that was really the only place. Um, my mom, she ended up retiring in, in at, uh, Fort Benning. And, uh, but the other place that she, she, uh, lived, she lived uh, in Greece for a year, but that was the only oh. place. She didn't really find that much. That's a... Well, Greece is pretty decent. <laughs> That's not a bad place to be. Yeah. So all, of all the places you lived growing up, which one would you say was your favorite? Uh, I would have to say Wiesbaden was my favorite. I love Germany. It's Germany. I love Germany. Okay. Excellent. Uh, stay right there. I'm going to hop back over to Mr. Wilkerson. So you made the team as essentially a baby, a guy who hadn't played a lot of football, hadn't played at that position. I'll put it that way. Hadn't played that much football. You're thrown out there with guys two, three, Sometimes probably even four years older than you were, you managed to get through it. Tell me about what your next year, you know, when you came back as a more experienced guy, what was that next year of high school football like for you? Well, coming into the uh, spring, the coach already, he said, man, you're going to start for the next three years. So just be ready. And uh, I came out scoring a lot of touchdowns, mostly catching fades and slants and digs, really. So, but. That was just pretty much – it really wasn't a transition because I had been working so hard from since from my freshman year till the 10th grade beginning of the year. It wasn't that hard when I got in the game, so to say. Okay. And so when you were working, you know, preseason and, and offseason and all that stuff, who, who tended to work with you? Was that like family members? Did you have other kids in the neighborhood who were working on, on their games and would work out with you? Uh, where were you honing your craft? Oh, it was really from the, my the quarterback, which is my best friend, like, to this day. His brother would always bring me out to work out with him. And it's, it's a guy named Devin who played for the University of Memphis. He would come back to uh, during the summer and work out with us or whatever and teach me things that he knows and stuff like that. Oh, Okay. Okay, well that that sounds extremely helpful. Uh, shout out to what's what's your friend Devin's last name? Oh man, I can't think of it. <laughs> okay, no problem. Well, shout out to, to Sweet D uh, from your friend Christian. Uh, you'll know who you are, obviously. Okay, so <laughs> so you you go from being a guy who's the new guy, right? You then you become an important contributor and even a star. Tell me about becoming a leader. What were some of the things as you became an upperclassman, you know, moving into your 11th and 12th grade year, what were the things you worked on in terms of 
bringing younger guys along? Because now you're, now you're one of the older guys in the team. Uh, how did that work for you, and what did you do? Uh, for some reason, they just seemed to uh, follow me around, like, and just look up to what I did from afar. I really, I really just didn't – I interacted with them as, like, a friend, but I never bossed them around. I just tell them, man, this is what I do. This is what you should do. Um, you should work on this. They ask me questions, how you do this, how I tell them what I know. And uh, I always just try to be happy, fun, laugh around them, things like that. Never never too serious until it was time to work. We'd get the work in. But they always tried to, like, emulate what I did. So I never had to lead with my voice. I just lead by example, and they'll follow along. Okay. Okay, excellent. And uh, before I hop back over to Mr. King, you grew up in an area with some other pretty good, as you mentioned, you might have mentioned some of them. When you were in high school and growing up, who were some of the best guys you faced uh, in your career, you know, up through high school? Either teammates or guys you ever, you were going against, and, you know, it could be in camps, could be, you know, even in youth football, but who were some of the best guys you saw? Uh, it's a lot, man, for real. Um, I have to say this guy named Sam Kraft played for Memphis. A guy named Walter Crutchfield, he played at our high school. He was like a great running back, like the best in the city. Uh, Dylan Mitchell, uh, it's a lot of guys, man, from come through Memphis. Will Redman. Oh, okay. Brian Kimbrough, yeah. That's a solid bunch of players. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot of it's a lot of great players I played against or played with. Uh, I can go. I can go on all day, really. But okay. Uh, and then I have one more question before I hop back over to Veda. When did you first start to hear from schools in terms of your recruitment process, and uh, who helped you to navigate? Who helped you figure out, you know, where you were going to play and and how to find a home for both your academic and your athletic career? Um, I would say PSU offered me, like, 10th grade. So that was my first offer, Tennessee State University. Um, but with the, with the recruiting process, I really did it all alone because I thought I was supposed to go bigger than what I went. So I was, like, trying to handle it all along because I felt like I wasn't meeting everybody's expectations or what they thought of me. I would just, like, go through it by myself. I wouldn't even tell my mom until, like, until, like January, January 20th. That was, like, almost signing day. Okay, wow, I guess is the word I'm looking for there. Uh, that's, that. wow. Okay, so... You, yourself, and you. Um, so you didn't have a coach or somebody else who tried to advise you? Uh, I really didn't ask my coach, really, because he didn't – I wouldn't say he didn't want to help because he did. I just didn't ask. He didn't, you know, he didn't, like, push the issue. Where are you going to go? What are you going to do? It was pretty much like either Memphis or bust with me in my eyes. Ah. Uh. So, but Memphis, like, I say they, like, streamed me along all the way to the end of the season of my senior year. I'm like, man, we prefer walk-on. But all through the season, they were like, we're going to offer you, we're going to offer you. And all the way in, I was believing it because they will call me, like, man, how you doing, blah, blah, blah. Then it never happened. So I was just like, okay, I'll go here. They got a good receiver. 
they need they got a good receiver going to the NFL so I can just go where he goes to his school and learn from him so I can be the best I can be hopefully follow his footsteps. Here I am, but it all worked out for the best, I would say. Oh yeah, sure. Sure. But it sounds like and please don't change the wrong way, but it sounds like you were a little bit hard headed. And that the school, as you said, was giving you information that maybe wasn't entirely correct or or true. Right. Okay. It happens. Okay. Um, now, obviously for you, uh, Mr. King, I mean, you lived a lot of different places, uh, and some of them even overseas, but you've played in some areas where there's some very competitive football. Tell me about some of the, the teams and players you played against that left an impression upon you, and if your high school had a particular rivalry that was most memorable, who was that main rival, that team you most enjoyed beating? Uh, I have to say our biggest rival at Smith Station High School was uh, Central High School. And we, like, throughout the rivalry while I was there, we never beat them. But the games were always, like, intense, like, high energy. And a lot of big players came, come, well, came out of uh, Central High School. Yeah. Okay. Okay, got it. And tell me a little about your coaching staff. Uh, what were your coaches like? and which one of the coaches made the biggest impact on your development as a player? Uh, throughout high school or just throughout uh, my whole career? Yeah. Uh, well, throughout yeah, high, high school, school. Uh, throughout high school, uh, the coach that influenced me the most, what the two coaches, well, three coaches I say that influenced me the most were uh, uh, Coach Rose. He was the head coach uh, for my sophomore year while I was there. And, uh, coach T.C. Britton and Adam Johnson. Uh, coach Johnson was my position coach, and I played, I played well, my sophomore year, I actually played defensive end. And Coach Britton, he, he kind of taught me, uh, he taught me a lot of technique uh, my sophomore year. And my junior year, I moved to uh, middle linebacker. And Coach Johnson, he, he really uh, kind of instilled a lot of technique and he, he really built me as a linebacker, like where I am today. Like he gave me all the all the basics, so I learned a lot from him. And Coach Rose was my head coach. He was just a, he just taught me how to hustle and work hard. Okay, and tell me about what you enjoyed. I mean, you played multiple positions. What did you enjoy about playing defensive end? Obviously, you were. I mean, not, I wouldn't say you were tiny, but you weren't a very big defensive end. Obviously. Uh, what was it you did that allowed you to have success at your size? And then tell me about what you had to do, what you had to change or learn to make the transition to playing Mike Linebacker. Uh, i say that what helped me excel at defensive end my sophomore year was uh, my speed and my pass rush abilities. Um, that really helped me. And I had I was small, but I still had strength. And I was able to move around and move uh, offensive linemen my sophomore year, even though I was small, and uh, just transitioning from defensive end to linebacker, I I gained, I actually gained I gained a lot of weight. I went from my sophomore year I weighed 170 pounds, and from my sophomore year to my junior year, I grew two inches and I gained. Uh, I I ended up weighing at the beginning of my junior year I ended up weighing 225 pounds. 
I put on a little bit of weight. Um, so that was that was a transition right there. But linebacker throughout high school, I just love running sideline to sideline, and I love hitting. Like I just love hitting. I love contact. Man after my own heart. And I'll ask you about when did your recruitment process start and what schools showed the greatest interest in you first? Uh, my, going into my senior year, uh, uh, Southern Miss, they, they showed the most interest. I actually uh, uh, verbally committed to them and went on a visit up to uh, Hades, Hades uh, Burger, I believe. Um, but yeah, they were they were the first team that that showed interest in me. Yeah. Okay. And did you ever take a visit there, or, or how far did it go? Yes, sir. I went on a visit. I went on a um, official visit my senior year. Okay. And uh, what was it about the staff there that uh, stood out to you? What did you like about that school and that coaching staff? Uh, I really, I like the, like, um, I would say that the environment, like the, the campus and it kind of reminded me of my hometown. Like it was, it was kind of country. I love that country vibe and, uh, the coaching staff, they just, they made me feel like I would be at home if I came there. And I just, I love the vibe when I, when I actually got on the campus, I love the vibe. It was just, everything felt right about that about the coaching staff and just the environment itself. Okay. And hold that thought. We're going to talk more about your recruitment in a second and hop back over to Christian. So as you said, you decided to be, you know, the captain of the ship and you were steering the ship and it seemed like you were going to steer the ship all the way to Memphis and then some things happened. So when it turned out that you and Memphis were not going to be a match made in heaven, what happened then, and how did you handle it? Um, well, I received a visit. Uh, well, I had a visit set up, so I went on a couple of visits. And demo, I just felt like it was the right place because they were rebuilding. They had new coaches. They had a great receiver going to the NFL. It just felt like a great match to go there and just learn from somebody that's going to, like, He's like going. He's he's going where I want to go. But he's on on that step right now, so I can just watch him, so I can know how to transition that way. Because I always knew that it would come a point where I have to do it. It was just determined. I had a determination to do that, and um, I just felt like it was a perfect fit to do that. No matter what was going on, I would make it work. Okay, and every high school. Uh, player, no matter how great a high school player they are, and no matter what, no matter what you've done to prepare yourself, there's a little bit of a a shock, a little bit of a, a wake-up call, a welcome to high school moment. Uh, sorry, welcome to college moment. Sorry, when you're making the transition from high school. Can you yeah. tell me about what that moment was where it hit you? Oh, this is this is a, this is a different animal. This is in high school. This is something a little different. What was the moment? What was the you know what what happened? Um, that fall camp, man, fall camp is – the freshman fall camp is by far the worst experience going through, like, I guess in life, in my football life. 
just adjusting. Got to know the playbook because we didn't have playbooks in high school. Got to have that. It's an install almost every day. You got two a days. You're with the football team all day, every day for 30 days. So that working, waking up early, six in the morning, going to sleep at like nine at night, every day, nine ten o'clock at night. That was the biggest shock to me because I wasn't used to football just being everything. <laughs> now you know what guys mean when they put out that hashtag grinding. <laughs> all those grinding hashtags now. Now you know. Oh, that's what you mean. Yes, all day, every day, football, 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 football. Um, as you said, you spend all day, every day around the same same group of people. Right. Who amongst that group that you found yourself thrown in with began to be the people you uh, you know to whom you gravitated, like your your guys, or however you want to put it, who were the ones that you spent the most time with and grew closest to? Oh, the wide receivers for sure. It was just they all we all. It was like not a competition. We were like brothers in that group. They'll tell us how to get better. Everybody coaching everyone, you know. So I spend most time with them, trying to figure out how my college life will go because they already have the wisdom that I need about college. So they're really helping me. So I just tried to follow around those guys that were doing it right. Then the freshman class, we were we were in the dorms together. So on the same floor. So you had to hang out with those guys. You don't want to be lonely and depressed because you're away from your family. Never been away from fam. So just hanging out with those guys, like freshman class and the wide receiver. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Pretty much everybody on the team, like knows me and like we can I can have a conversation with anybody on my team any year that I've been there. Okay. And I'm gonna jump back over to uh to Mr. King. So obviously Southern Miss was interested, you were interested in Southern Miss. What ended up happening and how did you eventually find your way to your academic and athletic home? Um well it was actually uh, a long journey. Uh, uh, after I committed to Southern Miss, it was a coaching change. Um, I ended up decommitting, ended up committing to Arkansas State, and I actually signed with Arkansas State University on signing day. Um, and because of my grades and my ACC score, I was not able to go there. So I double signed, and I signed, also signed with Holmes Community College in Goodman, Mississippi. And I spent two years there. And while there, I signed, I signed with – I was still signed with Arkansas State. I ended up uh, recommitting to Arkansas State while I was there uh, after my sophomore year. Uh, Delta State University. Um, going after my freshman year, they were the, actually the first team to uh, offer me. Um, and then a lot of Division One schools started coming along. And because of my grades and me being hard headed, I didn't buckle down, and I was not able to sign with a Division One school. But Delta State University, they they remained there with me. Uh, throughout the time that I was my, my sophomore year. And after my uh, sophomore year ended, I, over the summer, I signed with uh, 
uh, Delta State, yeah, I signed with Delta State University, and yeah, that was pretty much my the path it took for me to get to where I'm at now. Okay, and we've already talked quite a bit about the athletic half of being a student athlete. Sometimes we don't spend enough time on the student half of being a student athlete, which determines whether or not you get to do all the other things athletically. It determines, and I wish more young people understood that, that it determines where you can go, where you can't go, what you can do, uh, all kinds of things. When did you lock in on really taking care of your business in the classroom and who helped you to fix those problems you had had previously in terms of, you know, grades and classes and, and getting that taken care of? Um, I actually, I buckled down my, close to the end of my junior year at Delta State University. Um, coach Green, at the time, he was the the defensive line uh, coach, uh, and he was also my, um, he was the person in charge of Because the coaching staff, they all had a group of players that they would, uh, every every uh, Sunday or Monday morning, would come in, they would look at your grades, look at the work you had for the week. So he was the guy that was kind of in charge, charging me. And, like, he really helped me grow as a, a student athlete because before I, it was just all sports with me. And because of him, like, he made it possible for, for me to excel in uh on the field and in the classroom. So yeah, it was he really played a big part in that coach Green. Okay, and what did you end up choosing as your as your major? Uh I ended up choosing HPER non coaching. Okay. So your plan is to at some point be a coach when your playing career is over? Yes, sir, it is. Okay, got it. Thank you. And I'm going to jump back over and talk to Mr. Wilkinson. So, Christian, you've survived fall camp, you and your guys. Um, how long did it take you to really settle in in terms of knowing where to eat and where to get your hair cut and you know, just getting used to it, and how long did it take for it to feel like home? Um, I'll say about two weeks in when you move on campus, when every when all the students come back, it makes it much funner and more alive and, and more enjoyable, you know. But it didn't take long to adjust when students actually came to the campus with you. Okay. And you mentioned the playbook, and that you hadn't really had to study that much before. Take me through the playbook, what, you, what things you were expected. Do they have you learn more than one position? If so, what positions did they have you learn? And tell me a little about the scheme. What kind of, uh, what kind of offense did you guys run? Um, well, the coach said if you want to play, the best thing to do is learn all the positions, right? So that's what the objective was, to learn every position which I can do now with ease because he instilled that in me as a freshman. But I was primarily a Z receiver. We ran a pro style offense, really. So it'll be a yo, H back, uh, X and a Z. They got a full, got a tight end. I mean, got a running back. But now we've switched to a pro style offense because we switched offensive coordinators. 
Now it's more of a spread. You got H and a Y that are split out, Z and X on the outside, and uh, just an F back, feature back now. So it's pretty different. There are different offenses, but I'll say the pro style offense was a little easier to learn because it's less positions on the field. And you don't okay. have to remember the whole concept of all four routes. Well, you do, but you you're you're not going to play tight end, so you know what they they're going to do if you have to play a position like that. You're a big wide receiver, but you're not that big. You're not ready to go in there and start blocking DN. Um, no, so, not at all. I, no, I, I no. Even a linebacker, but I don't know about <laughs> the end yet. <laughs> I got you. So. Just sort of to give an example, in terms of let's take a play that pretty much every team has in their um, in their arsenal. There's a concept that some people call POD, post over day, but it's also known as the NCAA concept. They call it that because every college team seems to have it. And essentially it's, you know, uh, the X is running a post and either your slot, depending on how you're aligned, either the slot or the or the Z is running the dig, and then if you have a tight end, your tight end is running a drag. If you don't have a tight end, then sometimes it might be the if you're, you're in, if you're in double slots, it's the other slot, the backslide slot, runs the drag or a basic cross. So, in your um, original offense, how did you guys call that in the offense you played before you guys switched? Um, post over. Uh... We really didn't run that concept, to be honest. Really? I thought every team. I've seen, I've been, I finally found a college team that doesn't run some version of what they call the NCAA concept. Okay. This is the first time I've heard someone say they didn't have it in their playbook. And I've been doing this once again since, you know, since, <laughs> since you know, Atkins was a senior in college. So, okay. So yeah, we ran a lot of vertical routes and switch routes. We didn't run. Uh, we ran – Slant route, double slants, uh, smash concept. Okay, okay. So that's everybody has smash. What did you guys call smash, or how did you call smash in your first offense, and how is it called in your in your more recent offense? Um, we call it smash indie. Okay. And uh, and this offense, I would say we didn't even run smash that much. Oh. Okay. No, we'll call it. No, we'll call it Siamese or something. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And in once again, let's stick with Smash. What were you doing? And are you doing the same thing? Like, are you running? Are you assigned to the same part of the route tree, the same route concept, or did they change up your responsibility when you went from? Like, are you still running the same stuff, or is there, or do you switch responsibilities? I guess what I'm saying. So when you guys run Smash. Obviously, there's somebody, you know, coming up short. To, it's a high-low concept. And then somebody going, you know, running behind. Were you the, you know, the, like, curl, uh, um, uh, not curl, but uh, uh, my brain this morning. Um, uh, corner or the hitch? Right. Thank you. Good Lord. <laughs> Kill me. Were you running the hitch or were you running the corner? Or did you guys, like, was, did formation dictate that? Did, were you guys trying to find a, a, a matchup on a particular defender? Because some teams run it the same way pretty much no matter what. 
while other teams will adjust based on leverage or how good they think a particular defender is. So in one offense, I guess what I'm trying to say, there was a lot of talking that asked a very simple question. Did you guys run that route concept pretty much the same way in both offenses, and did you run it the same way against pretty much whatever looks you saw, or did you guys adjust based on what you saw? That's what I was trying to ask, and thank you so much for your patience and helping me to survive describing what the simplest high-level concepts in football are taking a minute to do it. Go ahead, please. Um, well, I played when I was a sophomore, well, when I was a freshman, when I first started, first or freshman, I played inside. So I played the H. Right. So I played in the slot. So in the smash, I would run a corner or I would run a post, depending on the coverage. Right. So got it. Re- they the coaches I had really weren't into matchups. They were more into teams and if they're open, this is where you go with the ball, things like that. And but this past year my coach uh the new coaches the new O C he was more into matchups and winning one on one with a lot of two-man games and stuff like that. So if you've got a better athlete and a better receiver, you go here first because you know he's going to win. Okay. Got it. Well, thank you so much for your patience as I stumbled through that question. Normally I'm much better. Uh, so, you know, what's there? You, reps. I need more reps. Okay, let me hop back over to, to Mr. King. So sort of a similar question. Um, Obviously, originally you had your heart set on Southern Miss, and Arkansas State comes in. Uh, there's pretty good football tradition, obviously, at both of those schools. And though people don't know Delta State as well, Delta State has been a, uh, gone deep into the playoffs and even, I think, won a national championship, at least one, if memory serves it correctly. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but I, can't, I think Delta State's won at least one national championship. Yes, sir. Okay, thought so. Uh, <laughs> so let me make sure I remember it correctly. Tell me a little about that program as you found it, uh, what the coaching staff was like, and once again, what was your, I think, say, welcome to college football moment when you got there? Um, I would say my uh, the my welcome to college football moment was um, going into camp. Uh, speed speed was a lot faster. Then when I was in high school, the speed while I was at my junior college, it was it was pretty fast too. Uh, my at, while I was at my junior college, that really was my awakening moment. Uh, I was playing defensive end, and the downs it seemed so fast. It was game was really fast. Uh, going into so going transitioning from my junior college to um, Delta State, uh, the speed wasn't much different, but um, it was it was a lot more contact uh, when we actually got in the game. So that first game of my junior year, it was it was just uh, it was a lot more contact. Okay, and I'll, I'll talk about your your JC experience for just a minute. I, I probably should have done this previously. I don't think most people understand. Uh, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but everyone I've talked to, I've talked to people who coach to that level, people who play to that level, junior college football is hectic. I don't even quite get it. Like, it is, you've got to hustle. Um, you're not always assured of a place to live. Uh, you're not always assured that you're going to eat. 
Um, I've known guys that slept in their car for a while, took a job delivering pizzas so they could eat, you know, <laughs> right? Hey, you know, any pizzas that, you know, that people didn't pick up? But home with you, you know, you can at least have something to eat. So tell me about, for those who have not been through playing JC football, what's it like and who, once again, stood out to you amongst guys you might have played with or against when you were in uh, junior college? Uh, well, I was at my junior college. Uh, what really was really the biggest struggle is just being uh, being away from your family. And Goodman, Mississippi is when people tell you all it is is school and football, that's all it is because the only thing around Goodman is two gas stations, one gas station is uh, – uh, right down the street, uh, another one's a good good minute from the campus. So there's nothing around there. It's just fields and and football. And uh, while I was there, it was it wasn't the living wasn't actually that bad because uh, the coaches they kept us fed and the eating plan was pretty good. And we lived on campus, so the entire team we all stayed in one dorm. Uh, and it was two coaches there and. So it was we were we were pretty good when it came to eating and everything like that. But the biggest thing really was just being away from your family. And over the weekends, the outer staters, uh, while I was there, I don't know if the real like if it has changed, but while I was there, you could only have eight outer staters. So the majority of the team were in staters, so they would go home on the weekends, and we didn't have cars, so we just. Like just walked around and stayed in our dorms all day. So we built a we built a strong relationship. That's the the biggest thing that I got from going to a junior college is like the friendships that I made with my teammates because I still talk to those guys like every day, and they made it. They made the JUCO JUCO experience a lot better. So did you guys end up like cutting each other's hair? Because it sounds like there probably weren't a lot of options. Uh, actually, yeah, that's what happened a lot of times. Like, it was a lot of players that cut, um, and sometimes we would, like, load up and ride off campus and go to, like, different cities and get our hair cut. But a lot of times, like, we did end up cutting our own hair. Like, I never cut anybody's hair. I can't cut. But <laughs> Okay. <laughs> a man's got to know his limitations, Mr. King. So who do you think yeah. was the most talented barber? That uh, amongst your your crew, amongst the guys that were on your team, uh, my roommate, uh, uh, yeah, my roommate he played DN, uh, Mike, call him Big Mike, but he, he he could he could cut real good. Shout out to Big Mike. Good that that was your roommate because you could always get get a lineup, always look clean if you needed to. Yeah, I could. <laughs> okay, excellent. Um, and then now we'll go back to, to Delta State. Uh, tell me a little about, you said that you were making, you're learning basically about how to play this position. Uh, Mike Linebacker is one of the more challenging positions on, on defense to play. For those who've never had the experience, and, you know, I played safety, but I've never played Mike Linebacker. For those who've never had that experience, what's it like? What kind of things did you have to learn to make the transition from defensive end to playing uh, middle linebacker? Uh, I would say uh... – the biggest thing was, well, to be completely honest, it wasn't much of a transition, um, like, going from, because after, 
because like my coach in high school, like he taught me a lot of a lot of the things that college coaches teach their linebackers. So when I got to uh, once I got to Holmes Community College, I played. I took a year off from playing linebacker, and I played. I played three technique and I played defensive end. I just moved throughout the line, and then my sophomore year, I moved back to linebacker. And uh, camp was smooth. It was it was kind of like picking up something that like it kind of um, like my memory. It was just smooth, like uh, just reading guards and reading the triangle. Like it was all smooth. And so by the time I got back to uh, Mike, like at Delta State, I was polished from my sophomore year. So it was it was real smooth, just like just reading linemen and taking on guards. And I feel like me playing playing on the line for that many years is. I like getting in. I like getting dirty. Like I like going up against guards. I like going up against tackles. Like I love being in the box. Like when I'm in the box, I feel, I feel like comfortable. Like because some people shy away from that contact. But I love going up against a guard, and it's just I don't know. That's like one of the things I love so much about the game, especially about being a mic because I can go up against a guard or I can run outside and make a tackle outside outside the box. I just I can just move so freely, especially in the defense that we ran. My favorite quote in there is I like being dirty. That's that's a beautiful that's a beautiful quote. Um so you played three technique. What were you weighing at the time when you were trying to play three technique? Uh I was wearing two forty. Yeah, well I was playing three. Yeah, I was two forty. <laughs> you must have had. I mean, clearly you were, you know, winning with quickness and things like that. But there must have been a few times where somebody just kind of balled you up. Somebody outweighed you by seventy, eighty pounds. It must have caught you a couple of times. Uh, I did get caught a couple of times. Like on, uh, like we were running a slant or something, and I get a double team, and somebody had chipped me. But for the most part, I usually I stood in there because I I know how to use my hands real good. So like for the most part, I usually just stood in there and did what I had to do, swim or you know I know how to get off a block. So it was it wasn't that bad because I'm I'm real I'm really strong. So like it wasn't it wasn't that hard going up against those guys because that quickness and speed that usually beat alignment. So yeah. Okay. Well, like I said, that's impressive because I mean. It's hard playing three technique at two seventy something, two eighty. I mean, two forty has got to be. Once again, as you said, you got to use your hands. You got to stay low. You got to be a great technician. I'm gonna jump. Speaking of technician, I'm gonna jump back over to Mr. Christian Wilkerson. Tell me about film. Obviously, a lot of times you'll watch film in high school, but you're just kind of watching. I mean, you know what I mean, like. Oh, look at me. Ooh, I look sweet there. Ooh, look at that move. Um, I can't, I'll just speak on myself. You're like, if I got a good hit on somebody, they're like, oh, yeah. But I wasn't always learning really what I should have been learning in film study. Uh, what, when did the, the, as they say, the lights come on? When did the switch flip, and what helped you to go from being, you know, somebody that, you know, was looking at tape to somebody who was really getting a tremendous insight and really becoming a student of watching, watching tape? Um, you said when did I learn those? Well, when when I figured out everything is when it's about my sophomore year. No, my freshman year. I was just watching how the the good players got open releases and 
how it helped my game so I could go practice those moves or do those moves in the game or at practice what drills to work just by seeing the type of body work they're, they, they're doing, the body of work they're doing in the game. So I'll say my freshman year just trying to become better as a receiver because I was pretty, like, just raw. Like, I'll run and jump over people to get the ball. It was pretty much so I had to become better at routes to eat, actually get open in college because the athletes got better as you uh, go up in the, in the competition. Got it. Got it. And I'll stick with you for a moment. So I want you to tell me about a play, a specific play that you made at some point in your career, particularly if it was like a game-changing play, that you made because of your film study, something you'd seen, something in a, a team's tendency or something in a guy's technique or something that gave you an edge, and then you were able to make a play because of something you had seen. Uh, what play would that have been? Or, you know, if there's more than one, you can tell me about a couple of them, but the ones that come to your mind first. Um, I'll say it again. Jacksonville State, um, their DBs like to play press a lot, and they like to use their hands, so they didn't want to get beat outside. So I used a release. It was like a minute left in the game, and we were up like three points, but it was third and like 20 on the 20-yard on the line, on our 20. So we called this play where we got a post and a wheel, uh, a bubble. I, I'm on the post, so I give him a release where I'm, he think I'm going outside, and I hit him with the move. And he jumped outside, and they were in cover zero, and they blitzed. So the quarterback, I ran the post and got open, and he threw me an 80-yard bomb for the game with the touchdown. And um, and it all came from film study because I remember the type of technique this particular corner wants to play in the real game and how he wants to take away the outside. So I've been setting it up all game to where you think I'm going outside, and I'll go outside, actually. So I'll do the same move, but I'll go inside this time and win on the post for the game when it touchdown. So I'll give that to film study, just reading his body language the whole game. That sounds satisfying. <laughs> uh, same question for you, Beta King. Tell me about... When film study changed for you, when you started, go, you, know, you went from someone who was you know, watching tape, but when it clicked, you became a real student, and you started really gaining insights and about a play that you made, particularly if it was a game-changing play that you made because of something you'd seen, maybe in a formation or a tendency or whatever, that helped you to make that play. Um, well, film study, uh, my going into my senior year, uh, my coach, he sat down with me, and he actually, throughout the season, it was my, my D.C., uh, Kelvin Green, Coach Green, and our uh, intern, a GA, uh, Coach Cannon, uh, they, they used to sit down with me, and i go in uh, after practice or whenever I had free time, and i sit down with them, and they'll just break down certain things. Um, Coach Cannon, he played at East Carolina, so he was a former linebacker. So he kind of – he was able to break down plays and break down, like, my reads for me just a lot better than, like, a lot of people could because he actually played that position. So it was just he, – he opened my eyes to a lot of things that I didn't really 
really like know before. So just watching film with him made things a lot easier. And we played uh we played West Alabama this past year and um uh the the game before it was some plays on the goal line that I could have made if I took a better step um off of the guard because uh in a three in a three three stack uh my my read steps are like I'm I'm the middle linebacker so it's two other it's two other linebackers and uh Sam and the Will and like my I'm I'm like the freest linebacker because the majority of the time one of the linebackers are gone on the blitz and the other are being coverage. So my reads and my steps are usually just free and I'm just I'm reading from center guard to back and then to quarterback. So like it's just free. But once we got on the goal line we had a package and I'd be lined up uh to the back or away from the back and I usually be in one of the the B gaps or the A gap, and I would have to just like my my step would have to be like if the if the guard would go right, my step would be right. And so in the game we were on the goal line, and like that's all I did once we got to the goal line when we got in that package. And I, that game I had five goal line stops just from just film study and like just from the small thing of just my step my initial step, my read step. So that that really played a, a big factor in just me making a play something so small or something that seems so small, but something that's really important. Yeah, I'll stay with you for one more question before I hop back over to Christian. Right. Who are your guys um, in terms of players you feel like you can identify with or players you learn from when you watch them? Who are your favorite players to watch and study? Uh, my favorite players to watch and study. Well, um, while in high school, one of my favorite players uh, were Ray Lewis and Navarro Bowman. And uh, once like right now, like some of my favorite players are well, Luke Keekley. I love Luke Keekley. He retired though, but he was really like my favorite, my favorite linebacker right there, Luke Keekley. I watch him a lot. And also, he's not in the league right now, but Ruben Foster, because he, he played uh, at Auburn High School. So, like, I, I really looked up to him. So, he, I love the way his playing style, real dirty player, just love contact. So, I, I love, love uh, Ruben Foster. That's, her. That's a great list. Now, Navarro Bowman is one of those student of the game guys. Ray Lewis is one of the greatest football players. Forget just Mike Linebacker. Really, football players yeah. of all time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Luke Geekley is a guy that, as you said, had a shorter career uh, due to, you know, concussions, but he has a very good chance, despite a short career, of making the Hall of Fame. And, uh, you know, obviously, we'll see what happens with Ruben Foster, but a, a, a rare talent. And I just hope and pray that, you know, he gets his – First of all, this is life, his actual life in order. Okay, I'm going to move back over to Christian. So tell me where you were on the depth chart when you first got to SEMO, and how long did it take you to, to make your way up to the to the top of the depth chart? Um, I was like, I'd say I was a three on the depth chart coming in, but the coach wanted me to play 
but I couldn't. I didn't learn the playbook because I didn't like take it serious as a freshman. I didn't know if it was that serious. This is somebody's job on the line, actually. So um, I didn't really get into it until after this. Well, when they told me they were going to redshirt me, then I took everything serious because it like put me in a sad place. So um, and then that following year, I started. I started for the next four years of my career as he wants. Yes. And you've been one of the top, as far as I'm concerned, one of the top receivers in, well, any place. I mean, I think that <laughs> I think that if more people see you play, more people will be talking about you. I, I don't think there's, I don't know. I mean, this is a really deep wide receiver class, but there aren't, in my mind, 16 better receivers in the country. I don't care where they're playing better than you. I think you were the top 15 or 16 wide receivers in college football. And I just wish more people had seen you play. So, you become a no problem. So, you become a starter. You make an impact right away. And you begin to, as you said, sort of like your high school story, I guess, as well. I can tell that the other receivers look to you. Some of them even might be, you know, as old as you were, or even older, but I can tell they sort of look to you. Now, you said you like to lead by example. Tell me about an example of you leading by example. Tell me about a time, maybe it might have been a time of, uh, you know, problems, trials, tribulations, um, adversity, whatever, bad breaks, where you were able to show that leadership. Um, We were like, so we were 3 and 18, and the offense was like the main problem. So I set up I set up drawings with the quarterback and extra workouts with the wide receivers, things like that. And they always come through because they wanted to get better as well as me. Because there I was known for putting in extra work, you know, on my off time. But I reassured I was working out at the gym every day after practice, after being a scout team player. I go to to the wreck and get in extra work, go run hills, you know, things like that to make myself better. Just seeing me do all the extra work and they just seem to follow along and want to do things. They'll hit me up, ask me when they're going to work out again so they can come with me, stuff like that. And then just, I guess just working hard always finds people, attracts people to you. Great. Great answer. Same question. Um, obviously, Veda, you had a you were able to find your college home quite as quickly, so it took a little while. But tell me about when you became a leader at Delta State and what your leadership style is. How you helped to rally your teammates or helped to push your team through tough times. Uh, the way I, I really helped my team through hard times, I I just stayed down. I just stayed who I was, and I just. Even if we were down, I still played and ran 100%. I put 100% in everything. And I wasn't really the leader, that, the hoorah type of leader. I really just do my play and just me not – my determination just that we were not to give up. Like, that really just was who I was while I was at Delta State. So you guys had both impressive careers. Obviously, in the case of Christian Wilkerson, you got a chance to 
establish yourself pretty pretty early on, as you said. You you were you saw the field fairly early on. Beta, you had to find your home. Took a little longer, and plus they even you know had you playing multiple positions. Some of which I'm amazed at some of the positions that you played at your side. So now I'm going to take you guys to leading into your your final you know your final ride, as as, as they like to say. And it goes by really quickly. I mean, you guys know better than most how quickly it all happens. You know, you, you're an 18-year-old freshman, and then boom, you suddenly wake up, and you're getting ready to graduate. And, you know, getting ready to face the real world or re- even realer football, if you, if you want to think of, of that as not part of the real world. But I want you to just sort of think about the goals you might have set for yourself. I'll, I'll start with you, Christian. Coming into this past season, you know, in the off season, when you went into your, your putting together your, your mind, basically, to get ready for it and thinking about the things you want to do, need to accomplish, all that, uh, tell me about it. Walk me through. What were some of the goals that you have for your, yourself and your team, and, and what are the things you did to try to achieve them? Um, my goal for myself was to break the emo all-time receiving record in a single season. I came up like a hundred yards short, but uh, it really was upsetting. But that was the main goal at the beginning for myself. I had a lot of records that I could beat over over career. Like it only took me like five games to do that, so that was my main goal. Breaking my goal coming in. But my team was just winning the championship because we didn't do it. We had an opportunity last year, but we didn't capitalize on that. Winning a conference championship. And, uh, Hold on just a minute, please. Christian, just hold on for just a second. Um, I think our, our third guest just joined us. Sounds like you're in kind of a noisy environment. If you could just mute your phone for a second and then try to see if you can get away from whatever the background noise is. Okay, sorry. Uh, continue, Christian. Yeah, and uh, what I did to change it, I'll just watch more NFL film and see how those receivers were getting open and how they played aggressive and go to yoga class to get more limber with my body and stay healthy, get more treatment in, just take care of my body as a senior so I can make it through the season as healthy as possible. Got it. Same question for you, Veda. Tell me about the goals you set, what things you did to try to achieve those goals. Uh, the goals that I set going into my, my senior year uh, were uh, uh, just having a successful season uh, as far as just winning because the previous year uh, we went 2-8. and eight. Uh, So I knew my senior year I wanted to go off with a good record, potentially make the the championship. Um, we fell short, but uh, one of the goals, that that was one of my biggest goals, just having a successful year, and I feel like we did. Um, I also wanted to stay healthy, so I, I took, I, I actually went to uh, treatment uh, my junior year. I didn't really go to treatment that much. I used to just like, you know, just thugging it out, but I knew my senior year I needed to go to treatment and do everything I needed to do to keep my body in the best shape so I could have a good year. Okay. 
And I believe we've been joined by our third guest, a young man from Howard University. Have, is that is that who I think it is? Yeah, this is this is me. This is Kyle. Okay, it's Kyle. Uh, mm-hmm. Kyle, I, I admit I have kind of a love-hate relationship with with Howard. I went to Norfolk State. I considered Howard. Um, I took a visit, and to this day, the biggest rat I've ever seen in my life. I've served in Panama. I've lived in New York City, but the biggest rat I've lived, seen in my life was as I was walking towards Howard's campus. A rat the size of a possum ran across, mm-hmm. my, ran across my path. Um, I, I will never forget it. Because at first I thought it was a possum. And then I got closer. It's like, that is, that's not a possum. That's a yeah. giant rat. That rat must have weighed a good four and a half, five pounds. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's, that's how it for you. <laughs> it, it stuck with me. It's an experience I will not soon forget. Uh, please be patient with me. I'm close to finishing with the first couple of guests, so I'm going to ask them a couple more questions if I have questions for you as well. Okay. okay. Memory lane. Okay, so back to uh, this season, right? So, Christian, I mean, I know you're a, a humble man, but feel free to brag on yourself. I think not just this year, but the year prior, you had one of the more impressive seasons I've seen, and then Despite that, you set even higher goals for this past year. There's things you're doing differently. Uh, obviously, your technique needs to grow. Are you also doing things differently physically? Are you lifting differently? Are you running more or running differently? What do you do differently physically uh, to get ready for this season? Christian? Christian? Okay. Hopefully, Christian can hop back on. I will swing the same question. Same question for you, Veda. Uh, you mentioned that you got treatment. Is there anything else you did differently in terms of the weight room or running or eating or anything else that you did to treat your body differently? Um, going into my senior year, we had a, a change in strength and conditioning. Okay. And he built – he really – he turned me into a different – to, into a different player. Um, past year, I was pretty banged up, um, and going like uh, training before the season, he he got my body back in, into top shape. So um, he really he played a big part in my success this year. Program, it was great. Excellent. What what's what's the name of your your uh, strength and conditioning coach? Um, Kevin Rodriguez. I believe that's his first name. We call him K-Rod, though. Coach K-Rod. Okay. <laughs> well, shout out to K-Rod. Shout out to Coach Rodriguez. Uh, that's, I think, one of the things that some uh, fans and and even some people who should know may understand that I've heard from lots of people who know college football and to some extent pro, but it, it's even bigger deal in college, is that the second most important hire that you make when building your program, well, number one is the head coach, but a lot of people say that the second most important person that you hire when you put together a football program is strength and conditioning because that's the person that has their hands on everyone. You know, your offensive coordinator deals with offense, your quarterback coach deals with quarterbacks, your tight ends coach deals with tight ends, your running back coach deals with running backs, your DBs coach deals with DBs, linebackers coach deals with linebackers, all that, but strength and conditioning deals with everybody. Yeah, everybody. 
place kickers, punters, everybody deals with stream condition. So it's good to hear you shout out, Coach Rodriguez. I'm going to check on Christian one more time. Christian? Okay. He may have had to run. I know he had some, some other commitments today, so I'll follow up with him later via email. So I will bring you in. So, Kyle, uh, please reintroduce yourself. Uh, tell, tell people, tell us a little about yourself and then uh, where you grew up. All right, so my name's Kyle Anthony. Uh, graduated senior from Howard University. I played wide. Congratulations. Um, yeah, thank you. I actually graduated in the fall after taking 22 credits my senior year. Um, but, yeah, extremely proud of that. Uh, had the opportunity to play wide receiver, uh, set a handful of records over at Howard University, and, um, yeah, looking forward to achieving my next goal, which is getting to the next level of the NFL. Okay. And I assume you're – are you somewhere at, a, like, one of the, like, uh, prep camps getting ready for a pro day, or are you still on campus? Yeah. Where are you now? Yeah, so I'm actually currently in Florida, and I'm training at uh, one of the training facilities. It's called Perform. It's ran by Nick's, okay. Nick Hicks. Uh, it's down here in Davie, Florida. Okay, excellent. Congratulations again. Um, that means that you are taking care of the most important asset that you have to your athletic pro, uh, uh, portfolio, which is your body. And exactly. that's always good to hear. Uh, what are the actual factuals on you physically, height, weight? Uh, so I actually at my last All-Star game, that was the Tropical Bowl, I came in at 6'2", 207. So I'll be okay. the official. So, <laughs> that's a, you are a big, so we have two big receivers on. Um, Christian, who I guess had to run, is another big receiver, big body receiver. And obviously you are. I know those guys can just, you know, box out DBs, and I'm, you know, a short, I was a short DB. I did not enjoy dealing with guys with, you know, all the height and the length and everything that you guys have. Uh, so, excellent. Stay right there for me. I'm going to jump back over to, to Vader for a second. So, as was just mentioned, all-star games are a big opportunity, particularly for guys that come from, well, anywhere. It's a big opportunity for guys that come from USC and Texas and Iowa and anywhere, but it particularly means more if you're coming from Howard or Delta State or Southeast Missouri. Tell me about that. Uh, when you start to hear about uh, all-star games and postseason accolades, and not, uh, tell me about awards that you were nominated for as well. Uh, I was uh, awarded uh, this past year uh, the Senior, most outstanding senior, senior at my uh, at my at Delta State University, um, and I was nominated for um, I forgot the award name, but I was nominated for something. I didn't get it, but I had one nomination. Right. And you were you were weren't you nominated for the Cliff Harris Award as well? Yes, sir, I was. Yeah, very deservingly so. Uh, that goes to uh, the best small school defensive player. Uh, it's open to D3, it's open to D2, and it's open to um, NAIA. And a lot of really good players, including guys who are having very solid professional careers, have won that in the past. So 
now tell me about how you sort of figured out what to do about all-star games and when did you start to first hear from some from all-star game uh, opportunities um i started hearing about all-star games um close to the end of my senior year that was the first time Okay. And who who showed interest in you first? Um uh, was it the College Grand Showcase? Was it NFLPA? Was it FCS Senior Scout Bowl or Hula Bowl or uh, Tropical Bowl or Yes, I, I'm sorry. I had uh, I had phone issues, but uh, the College Gridiron oh. Showcase it was the first one, the first. Yes, sir. Okay. Uh, were there any others you considered? Um, no, sir. That was the only one. Okay. And tell me about your experience there. What was it like? Uh, what was what were the coaches like? What were the practices like? Um, the the experience was was great. Uh, they had a lot of people come come in and do some seminars, and we learned a lot about uh, uh, handling money and just relationships, keeping up relationships. Uh, and the practices they were they were ran really good by some great coaches. Yeah, I learned a lot while I was there. Excellent. Uh, was there a coach there that maybe stood out to you, or you know, you, you may have learned the the most from? Um, it was a linebacker coach. I don't remember his name, but he was with the Falcons. Uh, he he had a lot of energy. Um, yeah, he 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 ran he ran the practices real good. Okay, great. And uh, one last question before I hop back over to Kyle. Who were some of the players there that made an impression on you? May have been guys that you played with, guys you played against, or just guys you noticed in practice that you thought, okay, that guy's a baller. Um, I don't remember his name, but it was a running back. He he ran some great routes. I don't remember his name though, but yeah, and it was also a, a safety from Florida Tech, I believe. He was he was locking people down. I think I know. I don't, I'm not sure who the running back is. You know, I. Do you remember what school the running back went to? But I know who the, who the safety is now. Uh, do you know who the running back might have been? I mean, what school he might have gone no, to? No, no sir. Not, not, not a big deal. Not a problem. Okay. Um, I'm going to hop back over to, uh, to Kyle. So, Kyle, tell me a little about your earliest athletic memories. What sports did you first play growing up? Uh, I played football my entire life uh, until the later part of my high school career. I, I stepped into track and uh, ran 300-meter hurdles along with the 400, but that was just for one year in high school. But uh, basically football my entire life and then a piece of track. And then I, I've always okay. been training with – had like have the opportunity to train with track coaches. So Excellent. Um there was a wide receiver who was a state champion in the 300 uh, hurdles who went to my high school. His name was Plaxico Burris. Uh, he was oh, okay. state champion in Virginia in that event. 
Um, he was after me, but a guy that was a – who uh, broke the state record in the triple jump was a teammate of mine who later went on to get drafted by the Bills and played about eight or nine years in the NFL was a safety, an All-American at UCLA, but played for us. He played linebacker and safety for us. His name was Matt Darby. And Matt broke mm-hmm. Al Toon, speaking of football, broke Al Toon's record, because Al Toon was way before you guys, son, but um, broke Al Toon's uh, record, and Al Toon was actually drafted ahead of Jerry Rice. Al Toon oh, was okay. drafted with the 10th pick overall the same year that Jerry Rice was drafted, uh, with 19, I believe, was, was where Jerry mm-hmm. Rice was picked. But Al Toon was picked nine spots. So, so with, that's one of the great trivia questions. Which receivers were drafted ahead of Jerry Rice? One of them was mm-hmm. a guy named Eddie Brown, fast Eddie Brown. He's gone from University of Miami. The other was Al Toon, who went to Minchville High School um, out in Newport News, Virginia. And Newport News has produced a bunch of guys like, well, Mike Vick, Tyrod Taylor, um, uh, Marcus Vick, uh, Aaron Brooks. Uh, Kemp Chancellor from right by there. He's not. He didn't go to Mitchell. He's from a, a nearby school. Phoebus and Mitchville, and that. I mean, it's not a big area. Like that's not a huge. It's not like New York or something or Los Angeles. It's an area where there's probably about 180, 190,000 people, maybe. But a lot mm-hmm. of football talent comes from that part of the country. Uh, and you probably ran into some Tidewater kids uh, when you were at Howard, I'm guessing. Guys from, like, Norfolk, Virginia Beach, uh, Hampton, yeah, Newport yeah, News. Yeah, Virginia Beach, Newport News, yeah, around that same area. Yeah, so that's where I grew up. I uh, grew up in Norfolk and Virginia Beach, uh, played mostly mostly special teams, but with the reserve safety at, uh, at Green Run. We had a we had I mean once again you know a guy went on to be an uh, an all American and two time all conference at uh, at UCLA so I wasn't beating that guy out and the other safety mm-hmm. was this kid who was once again younger than me but towered over me I mean I, I there was a two fifteen year old that showed up here I am thinking about the you know I spent the first year you know learning the ropes being a backup then I think about start about start then these two fifteen year olds show up who are six two and six three. And run like the wind. Norman Warren and um, and Matt Darby. And it's like, well, guess I'm about to really work on these specialties. But uh, nonetheless, it was a great, great experience. Okay. Uh, my final question for um, for Veda, and then I'll, I'll spend the rest of the time with you, Kyle. So Veda, you've had a, a terrific career in college, though, as you said, you know, some twists, some turns. You had to, you know, make some things happen to get where you're going, and that's kind of good practice because I'm not, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. You are coming from a Division II school. You have an impressive tape, but so do hundreds of other guys. And, you know, you're competing with guys from the Big Ten and guys from, you know, the Big 12 and guys from, guys from everywhere, right? There's only 1,560, you know, full-time jobs, I guess you can put it, in the NFL for players. Then you know, the practice squad on top of that helps a little bit, but there's only you know 53 guys who are on the the main roster of the team and who are making you know the six figures and and up. Uh, you can live, don't get me wrong, you can you can live on practice squad, but it's you know tenuous because those guys move around. The bottom part of every NFL team's roster is constantly changing. People don't even read that part of the news anymore. You know that transaction, so and so is dropped, so and so is picked up. So-and-so was put on IR. 
but those guys are constantly churning. You, you, luckily, you, you grew up a military kid, so you're used to moving. Uh, and the other thing goes, rent don't buy when you're a rookie unless you are, you know, drafted in the first three rounds. But rent don't buy, um, at least the first. Uh, it's tough. I'm just telling you. I'm sure you've been told, but it is tough. Yes, sir. It is a real challenge. And you're going to have to be very flexible. You have to learn to play special teams. You're going to have to, you know, maybe learn to play a different position. They may see you as a sandbacker. They may see you as a, who knows how they may see you, right? You, you're whatever they say you are. <laughs> I think, right, as you already know. Like, you may think one thing, but you're whatever they say you are. So if they want you to be, you know, a pass rusher, a situational pass rusher, that's what you are. If they want you to be a run stuffer, well, that's what you are. If they want you to, I was L3 on, um, on kickoff coverage. They tell you you're R5 on kickoff coverage. They tell you you're a personal punt protector. They tell you whatever it is that you are, that's what you are. And I know you've heard this before, but when you get to camp, find a special teams coach, follow him around like a lost puppy. Especially if you don't have a lot of special teams experience. You need to absorb everything you can and jump in there. Like if somebody's slow to get, get in there for a rep on special teams, beat them to the spot. I'm sorry, it's a competition. Like, like, if he doesn't need to get out there that badly, maybe you do. You know, if, make, make them pull you back off. Like, no, 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 I didn't mean you. I meant it. Like, if you think they might be pointing to you, run on out there. Not a joke. If there's any chance that they're pointing to you, run on out there. It's better for you to be the guy that they see is always eager to get the extra rep than the guy they have to push to get the extra rep. When cuts come, things like that matter. Coaches remember those little things. The kid that wanted the extra rep. The kid that... that got there early and stayed late, the kid that, you know, wanted to learn another position, the kid that taught himself the long snap, you know, (laughs) they remember those things, like, huh, huh, because when they get to those final spots in the roster, 47, 48, 49, 51, 52, 53, do you know who has the most impact on those last five or six spots on the roster? Special team guys. Special teams coach. The special teams coach. The offensive and defensive coaching staff and the head coach have all the say on the first 32, 43 guys on the roster, right? You starters, and you guys are too deep, right? So that, that takes care of That's 40-something guys right there, right? And, but then you get the, and, and then you've got, you know, at least one kicker and, and, one, and one punter, right? So that puts you right? Just, just that puts you at about 46 guys. 47, 48, 49, 50, 51, 52, 53. The person who has almost all the say over those last spots in the roster is special teams coach. That third safety, that fifth wide receiver, that fourth or fifth linebacker, that, um, you know, the, the the backup at every, at every position they can kind of run, basically. Uh, offensive line and to some extent defensive line are sort of excluded because they don't – you can use them on some special teams, but not all special teams. But those last few roster spots on every NFL team are there because of what they contribute on special teams. Yes, sir. So if you're not working on special teams, do so now. <laughs> do so now. <laughs> Find some time in whatever it is you're doing, wherever it is you're doing it, to work on, you know, if you're a guy your size, uh, learn how to be on um, PAT uh, protection, right? Learn how to be right. on PAT block. 
or field goal block. Learn how to be on actually, protection. I actually, Go ahead. Uh, I was on my, uh, my junior year, I was on kickoff. I was an L5. And my my yeah, my senior year, I was at L5 occasionally, but I was also on punt block and field goal block. So I I have – actually, I love special teams. I love special teams. Well, good, because if you play your cards right, special teams might love you back, which means that you will <laughs> your, your name will still be there when they pull that last name off a locker. That is a painful day. It's a painful day for the people who have to do it because they know they're cutting guys who can play. This is how it's different from high school or different from college. The guys who don't make it at the NFL level are guys who are good enough to play. You don't get invited to a camp, and you definitely don't get drafted if you are good enough to play. But there's just, once again, how many spots are there? It's not as they empty out the league each year. There's not 1,560 new jobs. There's only about 20-something percent turnover. So it's only about... 250 to 300 new jobs. There's way more than that number of guys who can play. So, you know, hopefully uh, a developmental league or the XFL will, or the CFL will, you know, arena uh, will pick up some of those other guys. But a lot of guys who can play. There's guys coming down from Canada who are going to make the NFL. They had to go play in the CFL for a year or two or three. But they're going to come back. I mean, Cameron Wake might make the Hall of Fame someday. He spent his first three years in Canada. So, so here's my final question. I think you're going to find a way because you've always found a way. And it might take you a while. You might bounce around. You might might be one of those guys like Raheem Mostert. Do you know Raheem Mostert's story? No, sir, I don't. Running back for the 49ers? So he most of got cut seven different times by four different teams, including the team he's on now. They cut him. So he got cut seven times by four different teams. He went to his wife after the sixth cut and said, you know, honey, I'm sorry I've been dragging our family all over the country, and, you know, you haven't been able to, you know, develop your career, and that was hard on you. He said, do you want me to you know, get, get a real job, right? Do you want me to you know, do something else. I mean, he has a Purdue degree. He could find a job. And his wife said, no. If you still feel like you can play. She said, she said, only if you feel like you can't play. If you feel like you can't do it, then yes. But she said, if you still feel like you can play, then keep chasing your dream. And that's what it is. It's a dream, people. I mean, it's different from, I mean, no offense. To, I mean, I, I didn't make it. I, was, I had no chance. Like, I couldn't. I had trouble getting snaps in high school. I knew I wasn't going to play in the NFL. I walked on in college just to say I did it, basically. I mean, I love football, so I just wanted to be around it. I used to stand by my D coordinator's elbow, just looking at him, just hoping he would kind of look in my direction. I'd start grabbing my helmet and running toward the field. But he'd be like, oh, I'm not to beat you. Um, it is so hard. People don't realize how hard it is to play college football. Forget the NFL. It is supremely difficult, 3 point something percent. I can't remember exactly what it is. 3 point something percent of the kids who play high school football will, will be able to, to get a football scholarship to play in college. 3.4 something. I, I would, don't, don't quote me on that. It's 3 point something percent of the kids who play high school football in America will be able to get a scholarship to play college football. Now you get to the pros, that 3% has to pass through another filter, right, to get to 
300, 200-something-odd jobs. So hundreds of thousands of people have to pass through millions of kids play high school football. Tens of no, not ten, but yeah, probably about eight point something million kids play high school football. And at all levels of college football, you're talking about right around three hundred thousand players, almost three hundred thousand players if you count D three, NAIA, D two, FBS, and FCS. And now you got to cut away down to really about one tenth of one percent of them. I'm going to even be in an NFL camp. I didn't say make the squad. I said be in a camp. But I think you're going to find a way. So I think all the guys, you might play in another league for a while, but you're always going to have the NFL sort of in your mind. And I think you're going to get tryouts and you're going to get opportunities and the team might put you on the practice squad and then drop you to pick up someone else. That's how it is. But I think you're going to say to yourself, I can do this and keep chasing. And I think it, it might take you a while, but I think someday you're going to find a home. Some team's going to see in you a versatile player who can – I mean, you've played three technique, you've played DN, you've played linebacker. So they're going to see in you a guy who can rush the passer, a guy who can stop the run, a guy who can drop into coverage. A guy like Bill Belichick would love you, right? He loves moving pieces around. He loves guys who can do a little bit of everything. So you just got to get that guy that sees that in you, and I think you're going to make it. So when you do make it, and it might take you a while, and you come back to Delta State to talk to the young cats about your struggle and talk to them about football and life, what do you think are the most important things about making it, about surviving, about because you had to go through a lot of to get where you are now. What would you want them to know about what college football is and means and what they need to know to keep going when it gets hard? Uh, I would tell them to always stay in the books and and focus on what's really important and never get sidetracked because school is something that's always going to be there. Um, football is a is a big dream, and only a few people make it. But at the end of the day, your education is something you can fall back on. And with football, you just have to stay determined and just believe in that the path that you're taking is the right path and, that at the end you're gonna you're gonna feel that success and everything that you did in the past and everything that you had to work for was like it was worth it for that one moment. So just to never give up and always believe in yourself. Okay. Well, that's good advice about what you want to do in life. Um, so last, okay, semi lied. I have one more official question, one very unofficial question. So. Uh, what are your actual factuals on things like height, weight, uh, you know, workout numbers if you have them, weight room numbers if you have them, like for your favorite lifts, like if you're a squat guy or a power clean guy or a bench press guy or, you know, walk me through your, your physical numbers. What's your current height and weight? Uh, my current height and weight is six foot one, um, flat, um, 230 pounds. Um, most recent time that I ran uh, was a four five eight. Um, my okay. favorite, uh, okay. my favorite workout. That's right. And I'm training. I'm training at uh, Dash Performance in Lawrenceville, Georgia, right now. Um, okay. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, my favorite uh, workout. Uh, my one of my strengths uh, is bench. Uh, most recently, uh, the end of my Senior year, 
I did 225, 220, I mean 25 times. Yeah, so um, my bench is pretty good. Um, yeah, those are, those are main numbers right there. Okay. Uh, do you do you know any numbers for like power clean or squat? Um, I haven't. We I haven't maxed on squat. Uh, while I was at my uh, at Delta State, we didn't really max. We did rep maxes, but the most that I've squatted was five fifty. Yeah, that's most I've squatted. And power clean, we never. I never really maxed on power clean. Okay, so. When you are power cleaning, you're doing like what, 175 or 200 pounds for reps, or what are you doing when you do when you power clean? Usually 225. Wow. wow. Okay. So how many? What's your what's your rep max on power clean at 225? Uh, I go for eight. Yeah, it usually be eight. Okay. So that means if you can do eight reps at 225, you can probably do somewhere in the 315 to 3. 30 something range, I'm guessing, if you were to max. Yes, okay. 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 This is, this is an unofficial question. So uh, feel free to refuse to answer if it would be unwise to answer, but I'll ask it anyway because I asked just to gather information. Uh, we do have some ladies who enjoy our show. Um, sometimes they want to know your status. Are you. Single, ready to mingle? Are you taken, married, engaged? What is your situation? Um, I'm in a relationship with with my yeah, I have a girlfriend. We've been together for it's almost two years. Um, so congratulations. Yeah. Yes, okay. sir. Thank you. So very much taken, ladies. Back off. Uh, what what's uh, what's your young lady's name? Uh, his name is Jaylen. Okay, he said Jaylen. Yes, sir. Okay. Well, Sinlin, you congratulations to the two of you. I hope that nothing but uh, success awaits both of you in the future. Uh, if people wanted to follow you, keep track of you, uh, do you have film out there? Do you have social media? How would people learn more about you? Uh, all of my uh, social handles are PantherPride32. Easy to remember. Okay. Excellent. Uh, well, thank you. I will definitely make sure that I follow what happens to you next. And when is your pro day? Uh, March 27th. Okay, excellent. Uh, I'll just ask you to give me an update. You can do that via email or whatever because I'm building out a profile of you that will be appearing on Nuts and Bolts Sports. And obviously I'd love to have whatever information is available from your, from your workout when that happens. Once again, I thank you for your time, your talent, your attention. Beta King, linebacker from Delta State, a tremendously interesting and versatile player who I think if you've been playing linebacker all of his career, uh, I mean, you're, you're a turret player now, but I can only imagine what you'd look like if you've been playing really in what I think is your more natural position the whole time. When you told me you played three technique, I was like, what? Like, I knew DN. Yeah. I mean, you played DN in the past. I didn't know you'd played some three technique. That was a mind boggler for me. Like, how? How? But, um, but you did it. So if there's, a, if there's a link to tape of you playing three technique, um, DM it to me or something. I'll have to check that out because that, that's crazy. Okay. I will. I'll definitely get it to you. Excellent. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful rest of your day, sir.
And uh, we're going to follow up email with some additional questions, some similar or very similar to what we've covered, some different. And that will be part of the profile I'm writing up. And like I said, please give us an update once you have your pro day information. All right. Thank you, sir. Thank you for having me. The pleasure is mine. Kyle, thank you for your patience. No problem. <laughs> so now it's just you and It's pronounced Khalil, too, by the way. <clears throat> Hello? Hello? Yeah, I think we on the wrong line. Uh, they told me they told me calling like 1230. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they just told me the same thing too. But I've been on the line. They've been talking to, uh, they're talking, but I guess, I don't know, it just cut off. Shit. I think got called back or some shit. Alright, I'm finna call back. Let me see. Sorry about that, uh, but yes, take me through your, your young, you know, like I said, your youth. Uh, as you said, you, you ran track, you played football. Uh, who were some of the other athletes that were around you, whether it be friends, relatives, uh, other kids in your neighborhood that you, you were around when you were growing up? Oh, can you hear me, Kyle? This is Khalil. Oh, it's Khalil. Okay, hello, Khalil. Um, let me just check who else is on with me. I've got Khalil. Is Kyle back? Yes, I'm back. Okay. Uh, Khalil, I'll be with you in a second. Kyle, um, tell me a little bit about the environment, in terms of the athletic environment, about where you grew up. Uh, fairly talent-rich. Who are some of the other athletes that might have come from your area, maybe guys you grew up around, played with, played against when you were, when you were growing up? Um, so I'm from Miramar, Florida. Attended Miramar High School. Definitely played a handful of athletes and talents that are currently at top Division One schools or in the NFL or anywhere just succeeding athletically. Um, some of the talent just alone from my high school, uh, we have Khalil Lewis, uh, Geno Smith. Coming up right now, we have Damari Simpkins. He went to Miramar from his freshman to junior year uh, and transferred to Hollandale. Um, Greg, Greg McCray, running back from UCF. Yes, he is quick. Yes, I'm a big yeah, fan of Greg yeah. McCray. Yeah, yeah. So um, D'Angelo Fulford, the top D3 talent, went to Mount Union, uh, definitely broke all the quarterback records. Um, so it's, it's a number of guys I may not be listening, but just the – Definitely a talented pool of athletes just around in my area, Florida in general, South Florida. Right. Well, yeah, South Florida is, yeah, <laughs> ground zero uh, when it comes to speed talent in, in the nation, yes. it seems. I mean, uh, so many guys can run. Uh, something about that 
weather, the humidity, something. So tell me about your high school. Uh, obviously, you said a lot of talent there. Uh, tell me about the coaching staff and maybe the rivalries that you guys have with some of the other, other schools. Who did you, you enjoy beating? And then if there was one school you really enjoyed beating, who is that one special school? Um, so, like I said, I attended Miramar High School. Um, been through – so my freshman and uh, sophomore year, I was coached by Coach Spence, and then my junior year was Coach Coddell, and then finished off with uh, the current head coach, Coach AJ. Um, rivalries, we had St. Thomas, and then we would play Everglades, which is really not a rivalry, but it's just a district game because we're both in the same uh, city, Miramar. We're East Miramar there, West Miramar, so we'll always play them for, like, the Marist Cup. But um, I enjoyed beating both teams, for real. Uh, we didn't beat <laughs> St. Thomas my my junior and senior year. Um, they're definitely loaded on um, all aspects. Uh, you know, St. Thomas has a I don't want to say upside, but it's it's kind of apparent that they have an upside. Um, when kids see their coaching staffs and and the facilities that they're able to bring, they're they're more likely more likely to attend a school like that than Miramar. So uh, definitely talent wise, they may have had an upside, but we beat them my freshman and sophomore year. Then uh, kind of fell off the uh, by the wayside my junior and senior. Year, and then we've always beat Everglades for for our district championship. So okay. And amongst the guys you played against when you were in high school, or maybe even like youth ball or camps or whatever, who are some of the guys you might have faced that really made an impression on you, or you thought, okay, that guy's got something? Um, guys I faced, shoot, it's been a lot. Um, I think we went against Asante Samuels my, was that my senior year? That was when he was like a sophomore, I think. Um, there was another corner, uh, Dante. I think his name was Dante. He he plays for Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt now. He was at Wisconsin first, went to Juco. I think Wisconsin, yeah, Wisconsin first. Uh, went to Juco and then got an offer to play at uh, Vanderbilt. Um, I just remember his first name, though, Dante. Um, played against Nick Bosa, Joey Bosa. Both the Bosa brothers gave us – a hard time on the front line, but um, played against uh, Devin Bush. Uh, who else? Um, it was a corner that he's at Nebraska. No, Nebraska or Wisconsin right now. He has number one. Um, but yeah, we played against him. Uh, Stanford Samuels, corner from FSU. A lot of guys. It's, yep. it's hard to remember, but yeah, that's that's a good good little list. I mean. Just between the Bosa brothers and Devin Bush, that's terrifying just to hear about. Yeah, and one of them guys are basically as strong as they are now in the NFL. They were basically that, but in the high school range. So it's like, see, those are two guys you got to, you know, put that red circle around when you're game planning for them. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, that's – I can't imagine being like a 16-year-old, you know, tackle, you know, you're 6'3", 6'4", 240 pounds, you're out here having fun, and then all of a sudden, you know, oh, there's Nick Bosa, or there's Joey Bosa, you know, and he's like, Coach, like, don't get him, son, don't, don't show him any fear, you know, okay, thanks, Coach, I'm going to try not to. <laughs> exactly. that's, that's a tough way to earn a scholarship. <laughs> exactly. 
Okay. Oh, Khalil, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. How about you? I'm doing very well. Um, so, uh, please, for those that already know, you introduce yourself. My name is Khalil Brooks. Uh, I play uh, linebacker nickel at Middle Tennessee State University. Uh, I'm currently a grad student here at Middle Tennessee State University and uh, trying to pursue my master's in sports industry. Well, first of all, congratulations. Um, you have joined, you know, as they say, the Fellowship of Scholars by completing your, your degree already, and now I think very wisely working on a master's uh, because it gives you an opportunity to do things. Uh, whatever, wherever football takes you, you still have opportunities uh, because football, as we all know, does not last forever. Uh, football is over far more quickly from, for almost all of us than we'd like it to be. Okay, so let's do a quick head count. So I've got Khalil. I've got Kyle. Is there anybody else who's joined me as well? Okay, that's fine. Khalil and Kyle. So uh, thank you so much uh, for your time and your talent and your attention. So we're walking through, you know, the history, right? So I'm going to begin you at the beginning. Uh, tell me about when you first started playing sports, Khalil. Uh, what got you started? How did you get started? And uh, what sports were your first, you know, First favorite sport? Uh, my first favorite sport when I lived in Gardena, uh, California, was flag football. Um, I was too young mm -hmm. to play country football, so that was my first uh, time playing football. And I moved to Atlanta, Georgia, which uh, football is really big at. And <laughs> yes. And I started to play more country football. Uh, and um, you just kind of see that. It's a big thing in Georgia, and, like, my friends that I play in elementary school with and middle school with, uh, they were, they were kind, of, kind of getting a lot of attention from, like, different high schools, and I wanted to be a part of that. And uh, just me playing different positions throughout my career, it just made me want to keep on playing. Um, the the brotherhood, the, the, the chance of making friends uh, just gave me a chance to uh, play football and just the – the journey I've been on just allowed me to play football um, in Georgia. It just helped me meet a lot, a lot of people, meet a lot of friends, and it was just it was just good for me. Yeah, it's funny. You were talking about how in Gardenia, you know, they made you start playing flag because you were too young to play tackle football. You know, we have a young man here from South Florida where they, they have four- and five-year-olds out there hitting. <laughs> <laughs> It's a little different in the South. <laughs> I mean, I guess they figured if you could walk, you can get hit. Yes, sir, definitely. Uh, I learned that a lot when I moved to the South. Um, that is, like, they start young, so um, it, it was a big transition for me, but it came, it came natural. Right. Okay. When you first started playing ball, what position did you play originally, Khalil? I used to play running back uh, when I first played uh I didn't really uh, too much play defense at the time, but I played running back uh, elementary school. Uh, and then I got to middle school, I played more running back and corner. Okay, got it. I'm going to hop back over to Kyle for a second. So, Kyle, you basically have been facing NFL players since you were about 14, 15 years old, what it sounds like. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so it won't be too much of a shock for you when you get into camp. So... Mm -hmm. 
Take me through your development, essentially, as a player. Uh, you're a guy who's got size and natural ability. You, you have speed, obviously, from your uh, track and field background as well. When did you really start to understand the nuances, the craft, if you, if you will, of playing the wide receiver position? When did that start to lock in, and who, and who helped you to get there? Um, so originally when I started playing Optimus football, that's what we call the Little League here in Florida. Um, I was playing yep. O-line and D-line, and, uh, and, and I was a receiver uh, my, high school, my high school year. So um, that process started kind of weird because, I mean, you go from putting your hand in the dirt to a receiver stance, a two-point stance, and now you have to work to get off the line and stuff like that. So uh, developing through my freshman year, I actually started seeing – my growth my sophomore year, um, that's when JV was still relevant. You know, people weren't just allowed. I think here in Florida it was stressed more than any other state because we had a, a great pool of talent in front of us. So it was like a respect thing, like you have to earn your way to varsity. So um, I started seeing it my sophomore year. Um, that's the year when we had, you know, Greg and Damari Simpkins and guys like that on our, our team. And I started seeing, like, oh, yeah, I can play receivers. You know, I just, of course, I have to, other people may have a head start on me because I started kind of late, but, um, no, I just, it just definitely clicked, um, sophomore year and then senior year, uh, I got to see it grow even more and then transitioning to my freshman year in college. That's when it's, I started critiquing myself and understanding the little stuff, uh, foot, foot placement, when to break down, how, how my body should look when I break down, um, getting out of my breaks how a route should look against a specific coverage, that's when, like, the details started to come to me and I started to really break down and develop myself into a true receiver. Got it. Got it. And that you definitely have. I'm going to hop back over to Cleo for a moment. So you have to adjust, as you said, to football in the South where, I mean – you know, God comes first to most Southerners, but football's not too far behind. Uh, I knew pastors when I was growing up who literally would practice their sermons so they could finish in time so that people could get in their cars and drive home in time for, for noon kickoff uh, for, the, for, for Sunday game. So that's, that's the South, right? Pastors literally timing their sermons to make sure, because people start getting antsy if, they, if the sermon's getting too close to kickoff. So they didn't want to lose the flock, you know, so they would be sure that people could, you know, make their way out, you know, fellowship, <clears throat> say a few words, and then drive home. So when you made that transition and you come to a hotbed of football, tell me about some of the guys that you ran into uh, when you started adjusting to this new southern version of football uh, who are some of the guys maybe from your neck of the woods, your area, your neighborhood, your high school, or even rival high schools that you noticed were really good football players? Uh, yes, sir. Uh, my freshman through sophomore year, I played with uh, Tasha Render, who's with me at Mississippi State University, uh, TJ Roman, who's at uh, – he's a practice squad with the Miami Dolphins. Um, and I went to Mays High School, who I played with – Natrez Patrick, who's currently with the Los Angeles Rams. Dallas Warmack, who's with the uh, Oregon Ducks. Uh, Marquavian Brinson, um, who's with George Southern. They all uh, 2020 draft prospects. Uh, and those are some of the guys who I played with. 
I'll yeah, sort of that's, that's, that's not too shabby. And uh, sticking with your high school career, who were some of your rivals, rival high schools, and, and uh, what, if there was a one special team uh, that you really enjoyed being, what team was that? Uh, yes, uh, we played against Stevenson a lot, and Stevenson has a hotbed of talent. Uh, we played against Montez Sweat. He played receiver oh. at Stevenson High School. Uh, Khalil Ladler, who was a transfer from Virginia Tech. Uh, I played against Preston Williams, who's on the Miami Dolphins uh, football team. I played against him a lot. Uh, and uh, it's a lot of guys, Arden Key. There's a lot of guys I oh. played against in high school. That'll, that'll do. You faced Arden Key and, uh, of course, said you said you knew him mostly as a receiver, but that's, that's some talent. Those are two very, yeah. very talented individuals. Yes, sir. They, was all, like, they all had the physical uh, height uh, that you wanted for an info player in high school, so I always – I always knew that they would always get to the next level, but I never knew that Montez could play DN, but he transitioned huh. in a very nice Yes. Well, you know who else was a wide receiver in, in high school and has become, I guess, a Hall of Fame level defensive end was DeMarcus Ware. DeMarcus Ware was originally going to – he was going to be a preferred walk-on at Auburn at wide receiver. He was 186 pounds when he started his senior year of high school and, you know, about the same height, about six foot three. And obviously, he, you know, filled out, body changed. Uh, he ends up going instead to Troy. And, uh, you know, like I said, his body changed. I think, he, I, think he, I think by the end of his freshman year, he was like 222 and, you know, it was 230-something by his sophomore year. And by the time he got to the draft, he was 248 or 49 pounds and still running like a wide receiver. And as I said, the rest of his history, and that guy is headed for the Hall of Fame. But, yes, um, that's a different type of human being. Uh, I guess, I guess mm-hmm. like, those two are just different. Different. They're just different. I mean, Montez Sweat still ran 442 at, what, 251 or something? Yes, sir. He always been that. That's he always been natural. He's played basketball as well, so he always been natural in sports. That's just crazy. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I, I was obviously, you know, not – anything close to that, but I'm trying to imagine, like, I, I used to get excited if I managed to break 4'7", and I was 170-something <laughs> safety, you know, I was under safety trying to get, trying to run the 4'6s, that's just crazy to me. Okay, um, yeah, that's, that's craziness. So, tell me a little bit about when you first started to hear things recruitment-wise. When did you first start to hear that you might have a chance to keep playing after high school? Uh, yes, sir, uh, it was my junior year, going to my senior year. Um, I started getting a lot of uh, a lot of phone calls from different schools. So I got my first offer from Western Kentucky, which is a rival school, Middle Tennessee State, which is kind of odd. Um, and then yeah. I started going to a lot of camps and stuff like that. Uh, I went to, I originally went to the Stanford football camp, and I met uh, Coach Brian well, David Shaw, and uh, I got in good yeah. with him. And I had a great GPA, so uh, I was a, one of the top candidates on their list to uh, go to their school. But um, then he had some contacts at Boise State, and I met with a lot of guys from Boise State. And uh, Middle Tennessee was still on the radar, uh, Kent State, uh, UMass. Uh, a lot of other schools like Cincinnati was on the radar. And, and then I just knew that from there on, like, I could possibly be a D1 player. 
Okay. And that is exciting. And, of course, that's the thing that's changed most, I think, between, you know, my day, which is a million years ago, and now is the importance of camps. I mean, guys went to camps back in my day, but it wasn't like, it wasn't a big deal. You know, a lot of the top guys didn't even bother going, uh, especially if they were from families where it would have been hard on their family. And in those days, there weren't as many sponsored situations. You know, Nike wasn't, I mean, this is, you know, many years ago, but Nike wasn't really involved in high school football in those days. You know, there's a handful of big camps, and most of them you had to have, somebody had to give you money or somebody had to come to the place uh, for most of them in my day. Now, obviously, it's changed. You know, Nike and 24-7 and Rivals and, I mean, I was in high school. No, I wasn't. I, I was almost in high school. Um, but when Tom Lemming, the guy who sort of invented national coverage of high school recruiting, literally quit his day job, got in a van and started driving around the country, I was not quite in high school. I was about to be in high school. Because 1979 uh, was the year he did that. So I wasn't in high school yet. I was in middle school or, well, junior high where I grew up, but middle school to people who don't have junior high. And <clears throat> recruiting, I mean, it's just so different. Like no one nationally talked about recruiting until then, until Tom Lemming decided to actually try to figure out, try to see all these kids from Massachusetts and Ohio and Texas. And this is pre-internet. He got, he quit his job, got in a van. People were like, it's crazy. And just drove all over the country just trying to watch every good high school football player he could, spent a whole year, well, you know, whole season doing that, you know, from August till, you know, end of November, and then put out his first, you know, national recruiting guy. And, you know, now we have all these different camps and seven-on-sevens and, you know, all these different ways the kids get recruited and all the social media stuff and all these smart things to Tom Lemming, who decided to quit his day job which, and just drive around the country watching high school football. Like I said, every, all his friends and family were like, are you okay? Or, Is everything all right? You know, you want to talk about it? Uh, but he was a visionary. He saw something. And speaking of vision, I'm going to hop back to, to Kyle for a second. Same question I just asked. You obviously, as you said, are from a ludicrously deep pool of talent in terms of the country. I mean, that part of the country, you can find young men from your part of the country in every single major conference in college football, multiple guys from your part of the country, in every single major conference in the country. Uh, tell me about mm-hmm. recruitment, because there's lots of college if, you know, lots of colleges are paying attention to, to where you played. When did you first start to get recruited, and, and how did you sort through uh, what to do and how to find your home? Yeah, so uh, that started going into my senior year. Uh, this spring, I had a strong spring, and that's when uh, a lot of coaches actually started hitting me up after spring. Uh, I actually got offered by Middle Tennessee State, um, but I think they had a – coaching change or something i know the one of the coaches that was recruiting me he went there i think is coach austin silvoy still there um for Khalil. yeah he was the wide yeah 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 so he was recruiting me when he was at florida tech and well after my freshman year in college he actually wanted me to come to middle tennessee state um but yeah but so they had offered uh miami ohio offered fam offered howard then offered and uh Marshall, Marshall was like the front runner, but then Coach um, Fury ended up going to Limestone College. So, um, yeah, they had fell back, and then Howard came in late around signing day, 
And when I got off the plane, it was like something told me I needed to be there. That was going to be the school for me. And then the rest was basically history for real. Okay. And so you guys, I guess, could have, things could have worked out in such a way you guys could have, you know, easily been team. And that's, I run that to all the time. Like how, people don't realize how close it is to guys going to a different school. Um, yeah. There was a time when, a few years back, when Mark Sanchez was coming out of high school, where it was like dominoes. Um, he, Sanchez was either the number one or the number two high school quarterback in the country, depending on who you ask. The number one or number two, the other number one or two was a kid named Ryan Terrell, who ended up going to LSU and then got in some trouble and ended up going to Jacksonville State after that. But uh, you have those two at the top. You have Colt McCoy, a kid named Jevin, I said kid, I guess he's, he's the late Jevin Steed now. He ended up going to, he ended up going to Texas and then transferred to Ole Miss and then Finished up at, uh, yeah, he finished up at Ole Miss. Uh, but he ended up dying young, 32 years old. And I can't remember what off, what, uh, but uh, RIP Jevin Sneed. But all these quarterbacks, it was with, with quarterbacks particularly, like the, the dominoes, because they, they wait for each other. You're like, a guy will wait till this guy commits, so he'll go here, and then he goes there, and then this guy changes his commitment because Jevin Sneed <clears throat> was going to Texas A&M. Then, at the last minute, switches to Texas. Colt McCoy's already committed to Texas, and Colt McCoy says, what the heck? I'll just stick it out. You know, he decided not to change his commitment. Of course, the rest is history. He eventually beat out Jevin Sneed, despite the fact that most people had Jevin Sneed ranked higher than they had Colt McCoy. Um, but, yeah, so all these quarterbacks are waiting for each other. Now, it's a little different when you don't play wide. When you don't play quarterback, you play wide receiver, you play running back, you play defensive tackle. You're not all waiting as much, so you do want to know who else is there because you're trying to figure out, you know, your opportunity. So that's fascinating to me is how all this stuff shifts around. And, of course, coaches, particularly position coaches, change jobs all the time. I don't think people realize. <laughs> I mean, just in that little conversation, you mentioned like four or five different schools had coaches come or go, right? It's, I mean, once again, rent don't buy. If you're a young or even a, not always a young, if you're a position coach in college football, rent don't buy. Uh, you're, so you retire at least. Uh, you're going to be moving a lot. It's it's just that's why a lot of my friends who who get into coaching sometimes get out of it as soon as they love football. It just gets so hard in their family. Um, you guys have all heard of Percy Harvin. I'm going to assume. Yes, sir. Yeah. Okay. So Percy Harvin played for a friend of mine named Coach Steve Cantor, and he's in business now. He's left football he's temporarily while his kids are. I think he wants the kids to be able to finish school in the same school, but he was um, uh, head coach at, he was the uh, offensive coordinator at Ocean Lakes, then they lost their head coach unexpectedly, and Coach Cantor was very young, he was in his late 20s when he got promoted, he was the youngest uh, big high school, head school head, head coach in the state, uh, 5A, 4A, whatever A that is now, in my day, 3A was like the web. They've added more A's since I got out of high school. So whatever the top level was at the time, um, he was the youngest head coach in the state at that level of high school football. And his best player was, well, Percy Harvin. So that's how he got to meet Urban Meyer and a bunch of other people. And he was young and bright and asked good questions. So he started getting opportunities. And he ended up taking a graduate assistantship position at Virginia Tech and then eventually became a uh, position coach and then eventually an offensive coordinator. And then, you know, like happens, you know, 
the coach above you gets fired, which means you get fired. Like, they love you, but, you know, so, so he, you know, that he ends up a position coach someplace else, and then the coach above him gets fired, and then he ended up working for, like, a workout facility as, like, their director of something, development or whatever. Don't quote me on it. Whatever. He was working with those, with those combine prep places as their director of operations, maybe, something, director of something. And then that place went out of business, and he was like, you know, honey, I'm not going to do this to you anymore. He got a, you know, job, job, and, uh, and he's doing that for a while. Uh, I think maybe when his kids get older and, it's, you know, I think I, as football, once it's in you, it's hard to get it out. So I think maybe once his kids, you know, are older, I could see him getting back into coaching. But shout out to Steve Cantor, a terrific young coach who right now just has prioritized his family, which I don't, don't blame anybody who's putting their family first. But uh, football's hard. It's not just hard on players, man. It's hard, it's hard to be a coach. It's hard to be uh, a GA. I've been a GA before. It's hard. It's hard to uh, – it's hard. Like, there's no part of football that's easy. That's what I love about it, though. Like, everything is hard. Like, there's <laughs> – I don't care how good you are. It's still hard. Okay. So back to you, Kyle. Um, so what was it about Howard, if you don't mind me asking, that made you feel like – because <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm not saying anything people don't know. Howard is a wonderful campus, but it's in a, what am, what's the word, controversial. Uh, it's in a uh, very, very, very urban, very be careful about the surrounding part of mm-hmm. D.C. Am I being fair when I say that? Yeah, uh, I think in terms of your references, they're like, that was what Howard used to be, but now it's like a lot of gentrification is going on, so it's actually better than what it oh, used to be. Okay. Okay. Yeah, you could just ask people around. Like, it's, you know, before you got to saying, like, don't walk by the reservoir by yourself, but now you have people jogging at 12 o'clock at night. And, um, oh, yeah, the, the campus oh, wow. Changed, but but I, I don't doubt what you, you know, refer to, because it, it used to be like that. It, that definitely was the campus environment that uh, it was oh, okay. built in or, or around, but um, when I got, like I said earlier, like when I got off the flight, something just told me a voice went off in my head. It was like, yeah, this is where you're going to go for the next four years, and um, just taking the visit. Uh, I was recruited by Coach um, Coach Flea and Coach Sherman. Coach Sherman was the one that visited my high school, and Coach Flea, he's actually from Florida, so we are able to re- relate and connect on certain issues, and you know, what I, what I saw for my future, and things like that, but it was just a family environment that I felt comfortable with being around and the people that were around. Okay. And everyone says that at some point you have your, quote, unquote, welcome to college football moment. Uh, It's different for different people, but it happens to everybody. For you, what was the wake-up call, the moment where it hit you, oh, this is not high school, this is something completely different? Um, well, I have a good moment and a bad moment. My first college okay. football game was actually against Maryland. I was, like, the only person that scored two touch- the touchdowns for our team. Um, That was, like, a good moment. Like, all right, you can really play against top-tier talent, uh, Big Ten, no matter what the conference is. Because I came into college, like, 6'2", 185, and I was running around like I, it wasn't nothing to me. Um. But then uh, that same following year, in my freshman year, I was running the shallow cross and caught it on the opposite side of the tackle box. And in, in the week, 
you know, as a freshman, you're thinking like you're playing primarily off talent and, you know, you're just knowledge of the game. So the week of us getting prepared for North Carolina A&T, our coach was telling us like shallow routes, like you got to sit down if you're going to pass, pass the tackle box because you don't want that opposite corner to come, you know, <laughs> blow the play up. So I ran the shallow cross and gave my eyes early to the quarterback when I guess I wasn't supposed to caught the ball and got hit. And uh, I mean, you know, I caught it, but you know, that was my wake up. Like, all right, you can't, you can't do that because you know they come to. That's a highlight play for the corner. But uh, yeah, those two moments definitely, you know, were my welcome to college football moments. Right. You give that person an opportunity to do that iris and step over deal where you're like, look it up, like what happened? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I, I played defensive back, and yes, we love anytime. You are going to add to our impact by running towards us as we're running towards you. That's that's all we care about. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like, some guys are ball hawks. I guess those, those guys care about that. But I was a hitter. Like, I, God bless the guys that are great at, 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 at snagging the ball because those guys probably should play wide receiver anyway. But I was not that guy. I was Mr. trying to, you know, trying to make you not want to come to this part of the field anymore. Put your head on, swivel guy. Uh, got it. Got it. Uh, same question for you, Khalil. One, what was it that made you feel like this is the place for you when you finally did find your, your home as a student athlete? And then the second part of that is what was your, you know, welcome to, your wake up, your welcome to college football moment that made you realize, okay, I'm dealing with a slightly different caliber of it's a different situation or different commitment or different athletes or whatever it was that hit you was was so different. Yeah. Um... I first when I first committed to Kent State, I went up there. Uh, I it just didn't seem like home. And uh, the, the following week, uh, I decommitted, and I went up to Bell Tennessee State, and I um, did an official visit. And it kind of seemed like home. Um, a lot of guys, um, like a lot of guys, came on my official visit were from Georgia, and I looked knew most of those guys. So it kind of just felt like home to me. And it was not it was three hours from home, so it kind of felt good to just be there. And, um, I could see myself living there for the next four or five years. And to come to college, that made me just feel like I was in college, was um, the first year I played after my race year, we played against Missouri, uh, upset them. And I was out there playing a whole lot uh, because uh, we had a lot of injuries, and I was just this guy up and just covering, uh, just, just going to get their up-tempo. That year, it was, it was come to a moment like, oh, this is college football. Like, you got to be in real good shape, and you got to be yeah. physically, mentally in shape. Okay, you mean I'm glad you made mention of being mentally in shape, and I'm gonna that take you right into film study. I know that for most guys, and it's different for some, but for most guys, I mean, if you're Eli Manning or Peyton Manning or you know. Uh, Derek Carr, I mean, those guys have been breaking down, you know, films since they were like eight. But for most people, somewhere between their upper years of high school and their first few years of college, the mental part of the game goes from being important to being everything. Tell me about film, you know, film study, how that changed for you, and who was it? Uh, Was it a coach? Was it an older player? Who was it that helped you to really – Rock in on how to really watch tape, and when did that happen for you? 
Uh, my first time actually watching real film was, I believe, my redshirt sophomore year when I had my current coach, Ricky Diabate. Uh, we always watched film. I always went there to watch film with him. And uh, he just taught me how to break down different formations or different plays and you just break down what the tendencies of a different team would do a different line of scrimmage, different down distances and their formations, and you can see their strengths and weaknesses, the guys that they're putting in the game, um, the, like their line inside the hash mark, outside the hash mark as a slot. Um, just the depth of a running back can just tell you a lot too. Uh, the devil of a guard, just reading those guys, um, just having your eyes locked in on different keys and just playing fast. Um, I, I just – mental notes and practice of like we all just practice the guys just taking those different steps and you and how you would take those steps if you was in the actual game. So um, it's real big in college football that you just got to watch film and you got to be up on game on who your opponent is and different tendencies because uh, if a guy does it once, twice, three times, he's going to do it again. So that's always, always what I thought and that's always what I knew. Okay. And uh, one more on this, um, this same area before I jump back over to Kyle. Tell me about a play that you made. Maybe about an impact play, maybe a play that changed the direction of a game that you made because of something you saw in film study, maybe a tendency, something about a particular formation or, or motion or something about a down and distance or something that you spotted that, that you knew what play to make and how to make it because of your film study. Um, it's a lot of different plays. Uh, I've been trying to think about a play since she was talking. Um, I can remember, I believe, it is certain plays like you just you can just you can just tell uh, against uh, UAB uh, just how a, a, run, a linebacker. I mean, the running back he will. Uh, we have different different uh, blitz packages. I have a running back, he would uh, block outside and not just sweep underneath, like get underneath him uh, through the tackle. There's a different uh, blocking techniques that they'll do. If a guy runs up this way, he's he's uh, told to block a certain way, and not just and not just redirect it and make the, the sacks. Uh, I had I think I had in that game at least two and a half sacks, and I just known by how the guards were were standing and how the running back was. Like his depth, his uh, how wide he was from the quarterback, how to uh, make my angles to the to the blitz, uh, my blitz line to the quarterback. So that game, the first UAB game uh, last year. Okay, got it. And I'm going to jump over back to Kyle. Same question. Um, when did watching film study go from being "Ooh, look at me! Oh, I look sweet! Ooh, ooh, look at that move I put on him!" to more big picture and gaining real deep insight into what was going on and why it was going on and things like that. When did that change for you? When the importance of film study really clicked, and who was it that helped you to make that jump? Um, so it started the process of that change and started pretty early for me. Um, after I got to start in the third game of my college career, it basically changed. It was like I can't go out there and play anymore. I have to actually study to see what. Uh, defenders are doing, whether it be the corner, the safety, the linebacker, I have to see those tendencies in order for me to have an upside and make the plays that I was making. So my coach, Coach Sherm, I'll always come in his office and he'll, you know, 
emphasize reading the triangle. I guess like every college teaches that now. That's the corner safety. And the linebacker seeing defensive tendencies, whether it's third and five, what coverage are they running? Are they running cover two? Are they running cover three? Is the safety rolling early? Is he getting back far? Like seeing those certain tendencies have actually made me, you know, a better football player like it should for everybody. Um, just that process in itself just started earlier for me. So I guess, yeah, that's when it started. Okay. And staying with you, tell me about a play, something that you saw in film study, might have been a particular coverage, might have been just the strength or weakness of a particular player, something that you saw that allowed you to make a play, particularly if it was an important play, maybe a play that changed the direction of the game. Uh, tell me what the situation was, what did you spot mm-hmm. and how it helped you to make that play. So definitely my sophomore year, we were playing Kent State in a tough game. Um, it was like fourth down or third. So it was third down, and then I, I forgot what pl- play we called, but it didn't work out, and it was fourth down. And we ended up going for it. And uh, we basically had a play where I had an option route, and during that play, it was like fourth and six or fourth and eight. But according to the alignment of the linebacker, it told me he was going to buzz out and the safety wasn't going to play hard. And we're, mind you, we're like on the 15 or 12-yard line going in. But uh, the safety ended up buzzing out in the option route, basically told me I had any option. I could sit down inside, sit down outside, uh, run it like a dig inside, like if it was a man attachment or, or run it like an out. Uh, outside if it was a man atta- a man attachment by the linebacker on the inside. So once I started seeing the safety, I mean, the linebacker buzz out, it, it was like automatic. I got to sit down in the zone. It's going to be there. Uh, just trust the quarterback to make the throw in. Ended up getting a first down for the go-ahead score. And, uh, yeah, that basically got us back into where we needed to be. Uh, unfortunately, we lost that game, but it was a, a crucial play into cutting the lead that they had against us. And you've made a couple of mentions of games where you're playing up, uh, Maryland, Kent State. You've played three FBS schools in your time at Howard, is that correct? Yeah, so we played – well, we played Maryland, Rutgers. Um, Rutgers. Yeah, Rutgers. Forgot about Rutgers. Yeah, UNLV, Kent State twice, um, Ohio. Yeah. And uh, oh, Maryland again. So it's that like six or seven. Okay, okay. Well, I knew you played Maryland twice because I remember I'd seen one of those games. I, I knew you played Maryland <laughs> twice. I, Rutgers, uh-huh. I completely forgot about. I knew about Kent State, yeah. and I guess maybe I Ohio I knew about, and I forgot about UNLV. Okay, so that's a decent amount. People always yeah. talk about quote unquote level of competition, and exactly. I'm not saying there's no difference in the talent, but it's way less than people think it is. <laughs> Uh, yeah. For those who wonder, you know, when you're playing against one of your MEAC opponents versus playing against Maryland, UNLV, Kent State, Ohio, are there places mm-hmm. where you do notice things? What have you noticed when you actually look at playing against, you know, quote unquote level competition versus playing up? Uh, well, being that I'm from Florida, it's never a question of competition. I mean, I've been playing guys that may have been better than the level of competition way earlier than I even uh, reached college. So, But uh, as far as, like, the difference from FBS and MEAC, I think it's just the level of discipline. You know, you're going to have some personal foul calls called when you get into the MEAC, offside calls, holding calls. 
uh, as opposed to when you face FBS schools, it's kind of a lesser, you know, yards allowed for penalty because, you know, I guess the coaches are emphasizing that more or the players are focused more on that. Um, size size doesn't really dif- differ as opposed to skill position. It's more old line. So, of course, when you're playing like a Maryland, UNLV, Ohio, and then you got to go down to the MEAC, the size of the linemen actually, you know, decrease in size. You may have a couple stud old linemen that are like 315 or 300 or something like that. Um, but that's basically the, the 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 biggest factor that I see um, from my perspective, yeah. the, the size of the linemen. I would agree. I would agree. That's probably the, the biggest difference is depth of talent and it's just that size on the offensive line. I think there's, you know, a little more drop-off probably between the first and second stringers or first and third. I mean, the, the third stringer at LSU is probably going to play in the – he'll probably at least be in an NFL camp. He may not be a star, but he's probably going to be in a camp. The third stringer at Sam or the third stringer at Knoxville State or the third stringer at, at Howard or the third stringer at Hampton. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's right, Hampton left – I keep forgetting Hampton left the conference. <laughs> yeah. uh, you have to understand that in my day, you know, Hampton was very much a member of the conference. I still have to remind myself that they're not in the conference anymore, which is cra- – oh, whatever. I think it's crazy. I don't know. Um, I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> I guess they had their reasons. <laughs> but in my heart, I will always think of Hampton as a member of the conference. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, obviously because of their larger number of scholarships they can give out and the ability to recruit nationally. Well, I mean, I, mean, I guess you are a national recruit to some extent. I mean, you're not exactly driving distance from, from Howard. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess Howard's a national recruiter to some extent, but at least in part because of the academics. So I want to talk a little bit about academics. Uh, tell me about your, your favorite classes and, and what you've studied in your time at Howard. So originally I came on campus uh, as a sports management major, but there was some hiccup in the administration where I got declared as undecided. So, um, But it basically didn't make any effect. I was still on course to be a sports management major graduate, but uh, I made a switch to the School of Business, the marketing department. I got in touch with the advisor in SOB. Her name is Ms. Hampton. Um, and just talking to her and seeing my interest and the business aspect of things, she was like, yeah, you'll be a good fit for marketing. I'm like, marketing? I never thought of marketing. But uh, lo and behold, it actually worked in my favor. I actually enjoyed the teachers and the things that I've learned as far as marketing and how it helps businesses grow to what they are now. Um, But, yeah, graduated, like I said earlier, in December uh, as a marketing major. Uh, The only marketing major to graduate early in the fall, actually, which surprised me so um, but yeah, that's, that's as far as education. Oh, like, I guess you could say my favorite yeah. courses were the marketing classes. Um, marketing okay. and math always been math has always been there, like a number one for me. Um, and marketing picked up as like, yeah, I really like what they're discussing in terms of you know attracting other businesses or other customers. Okay. Well, congratulations once again on your academic uh, excellence. I mean, you have accomplished things that people who don't play high-level collegiate athletics are, you know, are, are not managing to do some of the things that you've done. It, it is rare and impressive for someone to take on 
the load and the responsibilities you've taken on and to, to bear it up as well as you have. You've carried on, you know, you've carried out your career both on the field and in the classroom in a way that's extremely impressive. Thank you. Um, have you gotten a chance to go on any internships yet? No, so actually, like, I wanted to get into internships, but every time I wanted to get into an internship or something was offered to me, I had to train for football. So it's like, yeah, on-field duties always had, you know, and I'm guessing it's happening yeah. for a reason because every time it was just like, no, I have practice at that time. I can't I can't even shift the, the schedule of, of the internship or, or apply. Or every time a meeting happens, right. it was like it'll coincide with the football meeting. So I was like, oh, it must not be meant to be. I, I guess it's not. <laughs> you know, I guess <laughs> one of those things, like I, I got a plan for you. <laughs> you're not going to get into that field yet or not. Maybe you're not ready yet or something like that. Right. It may not be your time. It may not be your time yet. Um, and you have, exactly. you have time. You have time for that. Well, the good news is that if you are interested in getting into marketing, nothing like having a nice, successful football career to help set up some of those opportunities to talk to people about marketing. I mean, yeah. Reebok, Under Armour, Nike, always hiring for marketing. And yeah. they love to hire former athletes. Exactly. Okay. Uh, back to you, Khalil. Take me through the travel up the depth chart. Uh, I don't think people understand how hard it can be sometimes to just make that jump from number three or number whatever on the depth chart to the number one spot because, first of all, the other guys ahead of you are good football players. It's not like they're scrubs. You know, it's not like you just show up and they just get out of the way and say, oh, you know, the champ is here. So uh, take me through your, your journey up the depth chart. Where did you, when you first arrived on campus, where were you on the depth chart and how long did it take you to, to climb up to the top spot? Um, my first year, I decided, I told my coach I wanted to red shirt. Uh, because I always was taught uh, my academics was most important. So I went to, from the, from the jump, get my, have an opportunity to get my master's uh, because I graduated high school early. And uh, I just told my coach I just went to red shirt uh, because I seen the guys who was in front of me. Uh, there were NFL caliber, caliber players. Like uh, we had a Jeremy Cotrere, a Charverius Ward yeah. playing in the – in the, yeah, uh, the Super Bowl. I, I remember both of those gentlemen. I was a huge Jeremy. Now, where is Jeremy now? Where did he end up? Where did he end up? Uh, he went to the AF, the the that new league that shut down. The AAF. Yeah, he was in the AAF. Right. I knew. And yeah, you know where he went Canadian after league. Canadian league. Okay. I think he's trying to get in the XFL now. Okay. I was a big fan of Jeremy Kerr. You wanted you wanted to Jeremy. I used to bother people about Jerry. I used to try to get scouts to watch him. I was like, hey, you know, see this kid, blah, blah, blah. I think, I think there was two things they didn't like about him. I think they didn't like, I don't know what sense this make. I think they didn't like, um, I kept hearing how he was very high cut, angular. And so I was like, what? So what? Look at this tape. Um, and, uh, and then um, I think he didn't have a great 40 time. Is that what it was that hurt him? Must been his weight. That's why I always heard his weight. Wait, wait. He's very thin. I remember that much. Jeremy was like 177 or something. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I had trouble Charveris. getting people to watch him. Yeah, but Charveris was uh, about 205. He's with the Chiefs now. He started quite a bit for the Chiefs. Yeah, now. but Charveris, 
I had no trouble getting people to pay attention to him. People like he has an NFL body. I mean, that was, people like. I just thought that Jeremy was a much better player than people realized. Much better. Yeah. Wait. Yeah, he was. But yeah, he wasn't much. If you run into if you run into Jeremy, or you hear from him, whatever. Tell him. You know, I I believe he's going to make it someday. He just needs to find somebody who's not so you know worried about the fact that he doesn't. In fact, he has like a 31-inch waist or whatever. <laughs> whatever is their thought about. <laughs> you know, yeah, okay, his, his legs may, you know, not look like, you know, tree trunks. They may look more like, a, you know, a snake swallowing a tennis ball, but the guy can play. Yeah, he can. Okay, enough, yeah. enough talking about Jeremy and his legs. Um, so you registered, as you said, um, took yes, care sir. of your business in the classroom, and then when – when the first time you were put on the depth chart, where were you? Uh, my first, my re, my shirt freshman year, I played uh, dime and nickel. That was my kind of my, my first uh, chance to get on the field, and I played nickelback, uh, nickelback linebacker. Uh, I always subbed in every three plays. My coach was trying to get me ready for the future, and I played a lot of like three third down packages. Uh, I was just sharing time with a lot of the seniors that we had at the time. And then my redshirt sophomore year, I was a full-time starter. Uh, also played special teams throughout my career. That's how I earned my, my stripes through special teams. And I've always been big on special teams. So uh, it's been a, a three-year journey of me just uh, playing my role and understanding each role and seeing all the roles that I could be on the team and and then being a full-time starter and an all-conference uh, player. Okay. Cool, 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 cool. I'm going to hop back over uh, to Kyle, and I'm just going to ask a little bit about you clearly are a person who sets goals and then goes out and achieves those goals. So moving into this final ride, as they say, right, you're um, – your last year as a college football player, what were some of the goals you'd set for yourself and your team, and how do you feel like you you did in terms of achieving those goals you set? Um, as a team, you know, the common goal for everybody is to, you know, win a championship. Uh, obviously, we fell short of that. Um, went through some adversity throughout this season with the loss of our head coach, the loss of our starting quarterback, um, but uh, as a team, just being able to finish the season, stay healthy throughout it all, and um, play the best football that you can. Uh, going out as a senior, of course, nobody wants to go out losing, but um, being able to learn the things that I do did through those times of adversity have made me a better person and a better athlete at the same time, which I don't think people realize how much losing teaches you as often mm-hmm. as winning occurs. Because you could be on a lot of winning teams and then not learn any true principles. And then once that face time of adversity comes, you don't know what to do because you're, you're always, you know, a winner. But, um, yeah, the, the, the times of adversity throughout the year have taught me, you know, how strong I can be and, and the things that I'm able to overcome throughout anything, whether it's in life or in football, on the field or off the field, um, personal goals, uh all-conference, you know, be a top receiver, and not just the yet, but in the nation. Um, don't know if I fell short, but uh, I've been getting, you know, like calls like this show me that other people may have seen 
may see what I see in myself. Um, but all in all, still made all all conference throughout all the stuff that occurred at my high school. I mean, my college and on my football team. But you know, uh, thankful for everything Howard had to offer. Um, leaving as a as they say, a, a top tier receiver throughout the history of the school and accomplishing all the records that I did. Uh, uh, just extremely blessed to be in that position. Okay. Um, and then I guess one last thing before I move on from this. Uh, give me a teammate. This could be someone who's, you know, an underclassman, someone who maybe people don't know their name yet, but they will. Who's someone on your team that you think is going to break out? in a big way in, in, you know, the next season or two? Maybe they haven't done a lot yet, but they're about to. Uh, Diedrich Parson. I, I think uh, if they haven't realized already that he's a breakout athlete and tremendous running back, um, he definitely will be able to show him his senior year. Um, running back from uh, Philly, I think he is. Yeah, Philadelphia. Um, just electric can, can set the tempo of a game, can change it at any moment. As long as you put the ball in his hands and he can make anybody miss or catch it out the backfield, he can basically he's a do it all back. So, Diedrich Parson definitely going to be a name to watch for if people haven't. Former rookie of the year, further Miak, and a former uh, first and second team all conference running back. Okay, that's definitely uh, someone I'll have on my watch list. Uh, back to you, Khalil. Tell me, obviously, you made it clear that you also prioritize academics. Uh, tell me about your major. Tell me about your uh, degree and what you may do with it when football finally does come to an end. And, uh, you know, tell, tell, well, we'll, we'll do with that question that I'll give you the next one. Um, yes, I graduated my bachelor's in leisure, sports, and tourism with a minor in marketing and culture. In uh, my favorite class throughout that time was this marketing class that I had the opportunity to make a sales for enterprise over my campus, um, and it was pretty unique. Uh, we had to do a call to like different uh, people in the uh, in the, on campus about making sales to like enterprise sales on campus and why they should use enterprise. And it was just very hands-on, very very different than the regular course. And I did a thing. Uh, also, another class I did was uh, planning like uh, event planning, and uh, we raised money for this uh, guy who's a, a veteran. Uh, we raised money to build, build him a home that would be accessible to, um, for him, and we did a golf tournament to uh, help um, gain money for him, and we got a lot of sponsors, sponsors from different restaurants, different uh, businesses around our, our uh, community. Uh, it was it was like just different, unique classes like that. Um, now I'm getting my master's in sports industry, and I did a lot of uh, internships with my school with operations and uh, recruiting. Ah, okay. Well, I very much will be keeping an eye on you going forward. Uh, and then my next question is to spend a little time on the future. So just as I sort of, I just asked, Kyle, who's the guy that maybe people don't quite know on your team yet? Maybe they haven't uh, fully shown everything they have to show, but you think next year is going to really break out. Uh, somebody you think is going to make a name for themselves. Yes, sir. Uh, I would say Reed Blankenship, my other safety, 
but everybody knows him. But uh, I would have to say this uh, this redshirt freshman, uh, we redshirted him last year. I played him some games. He exploded on the team a lot. And his name is uh, Marve uh, Myers, Marve Myers Glover. He can play it all. He can play corner, safety, nickel. He can play it all. Really talented. Okay. Okay. Got it. Well, I will definitely be keeping an eye out as well. Uh, a couple more questions for you gentlemen, and then I'll let you have your lives back. Uh, thank you once again for, for making time when you have so much going on in your lives, workouts, and uh, hopefully – oh, well, I guess I'll stick with you for this. Uh, so when is your pro day scheduled, Khalil? Uh, I'm not sure. I think it's mid-March, probably – uh, the first, there. It's probably. I'm. I'm thinking it's March 16th. I'm not sure yet. We haven't got the time yet. Okay. Please uh, let me know as soon as you know. I will want to gather an update from you. Uh, get the actual factual when you actually do your workout. Um, now, what's your weight and your what's your height now currently? Uh, I weighed in at the CGS at 510, uh, 197, but I weighed in again. Um, I train at Boost Performance in Nashville, and I weigh in now at two or three, uh, still five ten. Okay. Got it. And have you have you had any opportunities, at least as of yet, to uh, gather any of your workout numbers? Uh, yes. Uh, we had a forty the other day. I ran a four four nine in my forty. Okay. Uh, my shuttles. I ran a uh, four oh seven in my workout, okay. and then on my three cone, I ran a six eight six eight seven. Okay. Well, in my vertical one, oh, he's a thirty-five. Yes, sir. Okay. Well, every single one of those was somewhere between above average and and very good as I'm sure you know, uh, and I'll definitely look forward to seeing, you know, what comes out of your actual pro day, and of course, knowing when your actual pro day is. Is your school just trying to sort of figure out when everybody else's pro day is and try to pick a date where it doesn't conflict with another big pro day in the area or something? No, we uh, we always join up with uh, TSU to use their indoor facility because we don't know if it'll rain or not, so we're just trying to get all the dates. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. And Vanderbilt, and Vanderbilt as well as in Nashville. Okay. Well, that makes sense when, when you when you explain it that way. Okay. Perfect. Now, <clears throat> I'll ask the the same question or at least similar questions. Uh, moving back over to you, uh, Kyle. Do you know or have an idea of sort of the the when and the where and the the how of your pro day yet? <clears throat> Yeah, so actually my agent is, like, trying to figure that out now because Howard doesn't have head coach, <laughs> and that whole athletic department is kind of up, oh, like, you yeah. know, and it's chaos right now. But uh, we're looking at FAU, Vanderbilt, and um, I think he was saying JMU around that area because he, he knows uh, the head coach at Vanderbilt. So And at FAU, he knows uh, some people over here, so – We'll be attending either one of those, and he'll be getting back to me on, like, what dates 
or which official one we're actually doing. Because I think FAU's is like late, late March, I believe. Well, I guess the first thing, um, good luck. Uh, so let me know, I guess, once again, as soon as you know uh, where you'll be for your birthday. Uh, and I'll definitely want to know, you know, what happens in terms of, of your performance. Uh, have you have any specific goals you've set? Uh, I think the 40 is a big, big, uh, you know, emphasis yeah. as far as receivers. As especially far as, for, for big wide receivers, yes, they get excited yeah. if you run fast. Exactly. <laughs> so what, do, what, what so, do you have in mind? Uh, high 4-4 or high 4-5. Like, within the 4-5 within the and high 4-5 ranges, they – like a, num- a number of scouts there. If I run in that, I'll be good. They just don't want me to pass a four six, and I, I definitely understand that. So, okay, got it. Um, are you weighing about what you're planning to weigh? Like, what what is what do you what do you want to be physically by the time pro scouts get a chance to actually weigh and measure and you know get your jumps and your lift everything in. Um, I think they they basically are fine with my size. Uh, whether I'm two hundred five or two ten is is really whatever I want to play at. But um, okay. some days it's like my weight would shift. So some days I'll feel like yeah, I feel like I'm good at two ten, and some days I'll be like, oh, all right, I need to be two hundred five. But um, yeah, between that range two hundred five or two ten, it, it's it's solid. Whatever I weigh into, weight's never been a problem because I, I put it on easier. I can take it off easier. Okay. Right. And and right now you're splitting the difference at, at two oh seven. So exactly. So um what do you think other than the forty will be the next most impressive? Or what do you think will be the thing that will stand out other than obviously your forty time when you're done? Um, like, do you do you think you're gonna Yeah, go ahead. Um my forty it'll probably be my bench or my vert because I think I, I could touch a 36 or a 37. Um, we actually oh, okay. have our mock pro day, our mock pro day um, this this upcoming Saturday, and then bench too because I think I think I could hit at least hmm, I want to say at least 16 or above, which is you know okay. really solid for a receiver, but. Yeah, so you don't you don't mind you don't mind getting in the weight room is what you're trying to tell us. Yeah, but they can see that because yeah. I mean you know the common misconception with smaller schools is they don't have the same weightlifting program they don't have the same weight and strength conditioning which is I mean you can't blame them from trying to be biased but as far as me yeah. I, I I'm definitely willing to say that it doesn't really apply to me because I'm lifting and and running with other athletes and getting told like, hey man, why what y'all did over there is this all personal preference. Like if you want to get big, if you want to get strong and, and believe that you are an NFL talent, then you have to train like one. So, you know, I'll be able to show that too. Like there is no deficiency lacking in my strength and conditioning. Got it. Well, I am very excited to see you know, what is coming in the future uh, for, for both of you young men. And obviously, you know, I have a little special place in my heart, even though you didn't get an off state. I still have a special place in my heart for anybody that uh, goes to an HBCU and particularly from the MEAC. 
Now, I think both of you guys are going to have very, very bright futures um, beyond football, uh, which is really the point. Like, football can't be the destination because it's over for most of us in our teens. So the very lucky sometime in your 20s and for the, you know, the one one hundredth of a percent, you get to play it somewhere into your 30s. And then for the, like, one one hundred thousandth of a percent, you get guys like Favre and Brady and Adam Vinatieri and, you know, George Blandham. You can name the guys uh, who played well into their 40s. Literally, you can name, like, there's Morton Anderson. That's about it. That's the list. (laughs) That's the list. Like in the history of NFL football, which is 100 years, I just named all the guys that played past their 42nd birthday. <laughs> How crazy is that? That's the whole list. 100 years of football. That's the list of guys that played past their 42nd birthday. So for most people, it's over well before your 40s, obviously. So I'm, I'm glad both of you young men have really set yourselves up and prepared yourselves up for life post-football because... Most of your life will be post-football. Um, and that's what makes football so special. Like I have friends who were basketball players and friends who were tennis players. You can do that when you're seven. I know 70-year-old dudes who go out there and, you know, run full court. I know people in their 70s and 80s go out and play tennis. You're not playing tackle football. Uh, <laughs> you know, you're lucky if you can still do it in your 20s. Uh, but, you know, quite frankly, most of us have done somewhere in our teens. And like I said, I mean – the guys who get to play into their 30s, I mean, they're, they're, they're freaks of nature. And like I said, I named everybody who did it after their 42nd birthday. It didn't take long to do it. I named them all that quickly. And we'll see what happens with Breeze. I think if Breeze makes it one more year, he'll join that club. I think he turns 41 um, soon. And um, if he plays more than one year, he'll be 42. Uh, I don't think there's anybody else who has a shot, who's playing right now, who has a shot to play I mean, obviously Brady's already there. Um, that's like it. I mean, it's, I mean, it's hard to think of. So like, the game is over for me. We'll see what happens with Philip Rivers. He'll be in his late 30s. I think he'll be 38 or 39. Eli's decided to retire. I mean, that's these are rare people. We'll see what happens with Ben. I think Ben's 38 going on 39 or 37 going on 38, one or the other. But it's rare. Like, these are – and you notice it's almost all quarterbacks except, or kickers, right? That's it. The, the, the guys who play in their 40s, every single one of them is a quarterback or a kicker. Uh, nope, nope, I take it back. I forgot one, Daryl Green. How could I forget Daryl Green? Daryl Green retired when he was 43 years old playing quarter. <laughs> that, there's a freak of nature for you. That's a freak. A person who played corner until they were 43 years old, that's the freak. How could I forget Daryl Green? Now the list is complete. Daryl Green. Of course, it helps if you can run 10.08 in the 100 meters without ever training specifically for track. He was a football player who just ran track because he liked track and qualified for the Olympics. Part time. That's a freak. <laughs> he was at 10.0800 meters in his spare time. How crazy is that? That's how you play corner to your 43. Um, I hope that you each get a fair shot. And that's all you can ask for. I mean, there's so few opportunities. I hope you get your chance. Some of you have friends or family or, or past teammates. Well, I'll, I'll stick with you for, for the moment, Kyle. 
the guys that you grew up around, the guys you know who are in the league, what have they told you about that crucible, about that journey into the NFL? Um, it's definitely a journey. Um, it's going to have its ups and downs, but usually the ones who make it are the ones who are basically an asset to the team and a valuable one at that. Uh, special teams coming from a small school, I know uh, it's going to be uh, important. Everything. To me it's everything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. To get on a, even as much as a practice squad, just get my name into, you know, coaches' meeting rooms. Uh, so definitely get on special teams. And whenever the opportunity presents itself, always take it. Never hesitate because that moment that you hesitate may be the time and opportunity that another guy gets in front. And now you never know if you're going to get that opportunity back. But um, just span, paying attention to the details, a lot of the fall off from college to the NFL is the lack of attention to detail and um, basically mm-hmm. striving in that atmosphere, uh, paying attention. If, if a route is supposed to be ran at 15 yards, you need to run it at 15, not 13, not 12, because at that point when you make it, coaches are looking to cut you. They're not looking for you to get another chance. Any option or chance they get, to say that you're not useful or you're not coachable, they're going to show that because then at the end of the day, they have to, you know, keep their job and provide for their family so they can't take a chance on somebody in such a short period of time. But, yeah, just I think the biggest thing is take advantage of every opportunity and um, make yourself valuable towards the team in any way possible. Right. 100% correct. The average NFL team – and only 32 of them, uh, starts camp with, you know, most of the guys from the team previous. They may have had some guys retire or guys hurt or whatever. Um, they're going to draft some people, obviously. Then beyond the draft, what I call, what I call the eighth round, uh, which is where things are truly get interesting, is the undrafted signing period because then the player gets to pick the team instead of the team picking the player. And there have been some famous examples of guys changing their lives because they picked the right team. Tony Romo is a great example. Uh, he actually managed to negotiate a better situation for himself as an undrafted free agent than if he had been drafted as a seventh rounder, where he would have probably gone to a team that didn't have the flux at quarterback that the Cowboys had at that point. He almost, almost, almost got tossed into going to the Saints by fellow former Eastern Illinois quarterback Sean Payton who really loved Tony Romo, and really, he loves quarterbacks too, but he really loved Tony Romo, really wanted to come. But Tony Romo wisely looked at the quarterback depth chart at both places and said, okay, here's you've got, you've got this guy and this guy and this guy here, and you've got this guy and this guy. And he said, well, okay, I'm looking at Drew Henson. Well, you know, we had a lot of hype coming out of high school, but didn't do much in college and just came from playing baseball. Chad Hutchinson, similar story literally just came from playing baseball. So two guys who were just playing baseball. And then Quincy Carter, who was finished out the starter season of starter last year, but once again, a guy who played three years of baseball after leaving Georgia early and uh, wasn't that impressive. He said, I might have shot here. And he looked over the other side. It's like, okay, well, those guys look pretty good. They had Aaron Brooks at the time, um, who was their starter, uh, I can't remember who the backup was, but it was a veteran backup. It might have been Mark Brunel. Don't call me on that. But um, they had some good veteran backup. And he was like, I'm not sure I can make an impact there. But 
he came down to those two, and actually the Saints offered him, I think, 10000 more in signing bonus. So it almost, he really almost got swayed by that. And also, you know, like I said, the whole fellow Eastern Illinois Panther thing that Satan uh, was pushing, but he finally decided to, to and he, you know, he's right. You know, now he's a borderline Hall of Famer because he went to the right opportunity. And it's, it's really that close. It's that close. When you get to this level, the, the difference between talent, you can't see my fingers, but they're almost touching. There's so little difference in talent when you get to this level. Everybody in camp, they might, some teams bring 104, 103, 105 guys into camp, then get rid of 15 or so of them to get down to 90, and then carry 90. Nowadays, you used to have multiple cutdowns, now they have just one giant cutdown from 90 to 53. But in the old days, it would, there were three cuts, two, three, you know, two preliminary cuts and the last one to 53. Now they just do it all at once, which is madness. Uh, I mean, I guess, I guess they want to free up more guys that want, I don't know. I guess there's a reason for it. But um, I think it's hard because the coaches don't get as much time to adjust to who they're focusing on as they used to when they made the more gradual cuts throughout camp or whatever. I mean, who knows? I don't know. I'm sure there's some good logical reason for it I'm just not aware of. But the uh, it is the most difficult thing in the world you would probably ever come to this point in your life just because, I mean, you'll be shocked at how good the guys who get cut are, right? I mean, Raheem Mostert, right? Guys, the starting running back on a team that's supposed to play in the Super Bowl, he got cut seven times. I just can't, I just can't say that enough times. Four different teams cut him seven times, total times cut. That's amazing. Right? And this guy's about to be the starting running back. He's going to be the guy announced as the starter at running back in the Super Bowl. So if you're willing to, you know, refuse to take no for an answer, uh, you can eventually get somewhere, but it won't be easy. And frankly, most people just don't have it in them to get cut that many times. Um, I knew really good football players who it just broke them when they got cut. And they were like, well, I guess time to, you know, become a assistant principal at high school. I have a friend who's a fantastic football player, and he's very happy. So I don't want to make it sound like he's unhappy, but he's an assistant principal at high school. Another friend who's a, a sheriff's deputy, and they're happy. But if they'd been willing to get cut seven times, could they be playing in the league or have played in the league longer, maybe? It's just so hard because so many guys, what was it? it was you, I think, that said this, right, Kyle, that some guys are used to always being the best and always winning and always this and always that. And then the first time someone says, no, you're not the best. You're not good enough. Exactly. That's it. <laughs> what? Wait, what? Wait. What? Well, what? What? So I guess if I wanted to leave you guys one thing, like wish you guys one thing. I'm a former paratrooper in the U.S. Army. And, uh, I mean, football's tough. Uh, it's nothing like going to war. And, uh, you know, I saw things and experienced things uh, that put everything in perspective, right? I hope you realize how blessed you are, first of all. You are truly amongst a tiny percentage of human beings on this planet, a tiny percentage of, of young football players, a tiny percentage of guys who were great high school players, who got to be great college players, and have the chance to be any kind of professional player anywhere. Um, to Canada, if you add Canada, XFL, uh, Arena, all that together, we're still talking about, if you add all of it up together, we're talking about less than 
6,000? No, it's less than that. It's less than 4,000 jobs. There are less than 4,000 jobs playing football professionally on the planet Earth. <laughs> on the planet Earth. I mean, Adam and guys playing in Japan and Russia and wherever else, we're still talking less than, I mean, that might add a couple more hundred to it, but we're not even getting to 5,000 because those are small leagues and they have very small rosters. So I hope you do appreciate the ride for as long as it goes, and I'm glad that you guys are really prepared for the next part of your life. Um, I'm going to, I guess, ask, if you were asked, I'll stick with you, Kyle, um, so, Kyle, when you come back, and I think you will be a guy that comes back to talk to the young cats, to the guys younger than you, when you get where you're going and do what you're doing, what do you want to leave with them? What do you want to give those guys to, to maybe help them to make the transition you're making? Um, <clears throat> um, I think the biggest thing would be just be, uh, just be focused. Focused and uh, believe in yourself no matter what you're doing. If it's in anything other than football, if you have a passion for that, be, be focused in that and, and trust that you can accomplish whatever your your uh, belief in that is because I think a lot of people say they want to accomplish things and say they want to be in a certain profession or, or be a certain, you know, model or advocate for something, but they don't honestly, deep down in their heart, believe that they can because of the you know, outside influences or the adversity they may face along the path of becoming what they're destined to become. But just the biggest thing would just be to believe in yourself and uh, be focused in whatever your your dreams are because you're going to have doubts no matter if it's friends, families, coaches. You just have to stay grounded in what your beliefs is and what you see yourself be- becoming. Fantastic. Uh, fantastic. And – uh, if people want to learn more about you, want to follow you, want to uh, you know see where you, this journey takes you, uh, what are your social media and you know, where can people learn more about you? Uh, Instagram and Twitter are both the same. I am Kyle, but instead of a Y, it's an X. So it'll be I am K X L E. Okay. Excellent. And uh, this is an unofficial question. Um, you don't have to answer it, but every once in a while, uh, my female audience will ask me to ask, uh, what's your situation in terms of relationship status? Are you single and available? Are you taken, engaged, married? Oh, yeah. So I'm I'm single, but I'm not interested. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Huh. We're going to get both sides of the end. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you're saying you're married to the game right now. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, sort of, sort of, kind of. Okay. Got it. Not a problem. Uh, well said, young man. Okay, same question for you, Khalil. Uh, if you come back to campus after you made it through your first season, right, getting cut, getting picked up, on a practice squad, on the active roster, cut again, practice squad, all that stuff that you may have to go through, what would you want to tell the guys falling beneath you, the guys behind you? Uh, one thing I would tell them is uh, the clock starts now. Uh, everything that you do is, is, is like a job interview. Everything you do right now that you can put on your resume. Uh, all the bad stuff you're doing on campus, off campus, uh, somebody's looking, somebody's watching. 
Uh, and with that said, uh, just to focus on academics, because like you said, uh, football would, would not last long. Um, it's a very few. It's very few guys that are first round through uh, third round guys, and below that, you can get cut any time. So mm-hmm. just focus on uh, your academics and just really uh, just get it. Just network with a lot of people around you because without football, I don't know what I would be. I'm sure. Uh, Kyle could say the same thing. Um, you you never know where you where you will be at for football, so you should always just use it as a vessel or vehicle to get where you want to be. Okay, perfect. Well, once again, I, I I know I've said it before. I'll say it one more time. You are two extremely impressive young men. Oh, before I forget, for the ladies. Okay, Khalil, what is your situation? Um, do you have a special person? Are you looking? Are you are you like are you like uh, Kyle, sort of a football monk? Uh, what is your situation? Yes, I'm. Um, I have a girlfriend. Her name is Joanna. Uh, so oh. that's that. Yeah. Excellent. Congratulations! Of the two of you, will continue to strengthen each other, be patient with each other, and uh, and be strong. Because if she's going to be with you as you go through this part of your journey, she's going to need to be flexible. Understanding, patient, um, <laughs> have a great sense of humor, all kinds of stuff. So I wish the both of you the best. Thank you both very much. And Khalil, if people want to follow you along and see where your journey takes you, all that. What's your social media, and where can people learn more about you? Yes, uh, my Twitter is under, underscore district one those six, and my IG is king dot kb seven, and that's it. Okay. Well, once again, I cannot thank you both enough. Uh, you're going to get a follow-up email, both of you will. If not today, then probably at some point tomorrow or at the latest Monday morning. It'll cover some of the same questions that we covered and some different that we just didn't get to because I've taken up enough of your time. But uh, please, as soon as you're able to, answer and also enclose a photograph of yourself. Uh, I'll be using this to build up a profile that will show up on Nuts and Bolts Sports probably within the next 10 to 14 days. I have a sort of a backlog. Uh, the holidays got me. So uh, thank you, the guys I already interviewed who were patient through me fighting through all of that. But the first few profiles will start dropping, but those are guys who I've already interviewed for the next couple of days, and you guys will be probably 10 to 14 days down the road. Uh, but once again, I thank you so much. It has been a real pleasure getting a chance to know both of you. I, I know great things are in the future. And I hope that as long as you want to play football, you will have the opportunity to do so. It is, like I said, uh, so rare and so special, but you guys are also rare and special. Thank you. Thank you. Certainly. Uh, I want to thank everyone that was with us earlier. Uh, It's been, like I said, a a real pleasure. We've had nothing but but tremendous young men uh, constantly. Christian, it was great having you on earlier. Veda King, fantastic having you on. I thank you both. And uh, we'll do this again in one week. Uh, Look out for that email, young men, and take very good care of yourself. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. 
Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash aware.